My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. My guest this week is a Christian husband and father who talks faith, freedom, family, and finances. From Uncage the Lion, please welcome Will Layton. You are the Renaissance. One of the best and also strangest phenomenons about today is that men and women are discovering that, perhaps for the first time in history, there's a side of the fence that the grass is actually greener on, and that's the side of the Christian family. The core seduction of sexual liberation was just that, liberation, that on the other side of the boundary laid a green grassy field of endless pleasures and enjoyment if we just tore down that pesky old fence. And so we did. I say we because I participated in this. I didn't do the demolition work. That had been done long before. But I did look at the stupid fence, lying there on the stupid ground, and think what backward rubes must have had it up to begin with. I didn't know. I was blind, both willfully and otherwise. And I sit with that thought often. But then, praise God, he opened my eyes to see color for the first time. And I know I'm not alone. Suddenly, the fence doesn't look stupid. It looks God-glorifying. The ground isn't stupid either. It's a nefarious insult. And Rubes didn't put the fence up, no matter what the feminists in the big city say. The creator of the universe erected it, for our benefit. But most of all, seen that way, the grass on the other side, the grass that some of us willingly walked away from, looks lush and green indeed. Now many of us walking wounded are stumbling back the way we came, called by a vision we discarded in exchange for something shinier. We've been given the gift of repentance, yes, in my case, a ways on through life. And now there are those much younger, who never crossed the fence to begin with, who are our teachers in the basics. It's a pretty special experience, for those of us humble and blessed enough to see. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Will Layton, and he's the man behind the popular Instagram accounts Uncage the Lion and The Will Layton. He's also a Christian husband and father whose upbringing, and that of his wife, is the sort of thing that most of us wish we had, except for that darned downed fence. But upbringings aside, it's not his childhood so much as the lessons it clearly taught him that appeal to me. Having come to Christ at this stage of my life and working out what it means to construct a Christian household, if God should ever bless me with the opportunity to do that. And one of my favorite things about being a man is that, Despite all the alpha guru posturing, none of us can be expected to have it all figured out. In the same way, good men pursuing good paths each have the opportunity to become each other's teachers, often regardless of age, because there's a way that Will speaks about the subjects he knows with clarity, force, and confidence that I can't help but notice and learn something from, and I'm sure you will too. In our conversation, Will and I discussed the meaning of Uncaged the Lion, the slow failure of the modern church, his most controversial post ever, how feminism damages women, modern evangelical coddling, speaking to your husband with respect, and finally, a brief explanation of head coverings. A quick programming note, on Monday, June 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. Pacific, I'll be hosting an exclusive YouTube live stream panel about the basics of biblical fatherhood featuring four outstanding Christian husbands and fathers who have blessed my life in meaningful ways. The panel will feature Nate Spearing, former U.S. Army Ranger and host of the Life on Target podcast. 
Matt Reynolds, the founder of Barbell Logic, Brandon Lansdowne, pastor and the founder of Reformation Coffee, and finally, a name you might not recognize, Garrett Barty, a former B-2 stealth bomber pilot and one of my most impactful teachers in 2024. I'm hosting this space because 2023 was a time of big Christian concepts in politics and culture, but there's been a gap in the discussion about, okay, how shall we now live? What do we do as Christian men to cultivate fatherly Christian discipline to pass down to our wives and kids? For those of us who didn't grow up in Christian homes or who are looking to build one, this live stream will be your chance to learn from four men who are doing the thing. I'm humble enough to know that I can't teach you, so I hope you'll tune in to hear from the men who have taught me. Again, join us at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube on Monday, January 29th for this exclusive live stream featuring a panel discussion plus audience Q&A. And good news, YouTube finally monetized me. So if you'd like to be the first person to shoot me a super chat, that would be rad. So click the link in the description to get notified, and we'll see you on Monday, January 29th. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. You can help the show grow by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, plus a five-star rating on Spotify. And share this episode or another one of your favorites with a friend. Don't forget that my new Renaissance of Men, The Righteous Will Never Be Shaken shirts are still available at Source Christian Apparel. Source is run by two faithful Christian wives, Julia and Anna, who stepped back from their careers to build a stay-at-home business to support their husbands, and it's an honor to support them. So go visit SourceChristianApparel.com right now to get your limited-run Righteous tee designed by one of the top designers in the space and printed on a super soft material. Again, go to SourceChristianApparel.com right now to get yours today. Finally, the Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine coffee beans hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne and his family in Springfield, Missouri. Brandon and Reformation are doing big things this year, stepping out and growing the business to help overthrow the dominion of woke globalist coffee. And you can help him in that mission by going to ReformationCoffee.com right now and ordering one of their four signature roasts. Also, use the code SUBFREE when you sign up for regular coffee delivery to get one free 12-ounce bag on the house. Again, go to ReformationCoffee.com and sign up for regular coffee delivery, and when you use the code SUBFREE, you'll get a free bag of coffee. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, from Uncaged the Lion, Will Layton. Will, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here, Will. This has been, it's kind of been a long time coming. Like I've been following uh, your two accounts for a couple of years now, and uh, I've been interested in learning more about you. And, and I, I love the stuff that you post, and I love the energy that you posted with, very confident and very directed, and it's very inspiring to me. So I'm grateful that we had the chance to, uh, to connect and, and uh, share some thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, and you know, like I expressed to you, it was nice to see you face to face, talk to you face to face. We've known each other, been friends for um, a good while, probably what, two years now, something like that. Yeah. At least a year and a half, I would think. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I think this is going to be fun. I was um, very honored. You asked me onto the podcast and, um, and yeah, let, let's get into it. Awesome, man. Well, so I think my first question, which we talked about a second ago is just you know, when I, I bumped into you in the Instagram content creation world, and it seemed like you'd already built a sizable audience, tens of thousands on a couple different, a couple different pages, your, your stuff had a vibe and, and an aesthetic to it. And 
it was like, oh, okay, what's this, this guy's been at it for a, a little while. So I don't really know the story behind like, what is Uncaged the Lion? How did Uncaged the Lion become the Will Layton or did the Will Layton become un-? like, you have these two accounts that are pretty similar, but it seems like there's some difference. So I guess I was interested in the story behind, you know, how you got into content creation and, and how you branched off and, and that whole part of that whole part of what you do. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, first of all, uh, it's kind of weird to talk to another Will. I don't actually meet very many other Wills, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like right. we go Will rare. squared going on here. It's it's that's a right. you know it's a it's a pretty normal name, a good name, great name, but I don't great meet name. a whole lot. Very of handsome Wills. men. And the ones Will. I do, the ones I do meet, they um, they usually they'll go by Bill. Or have you do you have people trying to call you Bill all the time? I refuse to allow them to call me Bill. Yes. Same, same. It's that's yeah. like I'll go by William, I'll go by Will, um, yeah. I go by you know whatever. But Bill is I'm just not a Bill. So that no. was my grandfather. My grandfather was a Bill. He was a World War II vet, um, and I'm named after him. But um, anyway, back to your. Just I wanted to address that. Yeah, um, yeah, please. Back to your question. So basically, probably four years ago now. Um, I'm not haven't really been keeping track, but. Something like four years ago now, at least three and a half years ago, um, I decided to start just kind of writing down some of the things that I've been thinking about masculinity. I've been interested in masculinity and Christianity and, you know, obviously biblical masculinity yeah. for, you know, a long time, my whole life. I was interested in it. I loved the topic. Um, I loved talking about it with with friends. And I had this one um, father figure in my life. I have a, a great dad, but um, he, he worked a lot. And so... There was a Christian um, gentleman who was the father of some of my childhood friends. Uh, his name is Frank Speed, and he um, he was a he's an awesome guy. I still talk to him to this day, and he's like my he was like my second dad. And we would stay up until because sometimes he'd come over or I'd go over and spend the night um, in, and hang out with with my friends and stuff. And we'd stay up till two three o'clock in the morning talking about um, femininity and masculinity and things like that. When wow. I was a young age. Um, and, and I just absolutely loved being around him and talking to him and interacting about these topics. And he loved that there was, you know, someone that wanted to talk about things like this because he had a lot of knowledge and in, in, into this. So that was kind of the start of it. Um, and then probably three or four years ago, I was like, you know, I, I ought to just start writing some of this stuff down and, and putting it out there. I was actually uncaged the lion specifically. It's, um, kind of. A, a double entendre in a way in, in that it's, you know, about you know, when you uncage a lion, there's a quote out there and I don't remember who it's from now. I probably should, but it, you know, um, mm-hmm. I think it's about the Bible. It's like, if you uncage, it's, it'll fight for itself. Just uncage the lion. Mm-hmm. And, and then I also thought that's also a good way to talk about masculinity because masculinity, um, it had been at least when we, I was starting to get interested in putting that stuff out there. There wasn't a whole lot in the, online, social media, Instagram in particular is where I do a lot of my posts um, about biblical masculinity. You had guys like Doug Wilson and some other guys, um, but not many people my age that was um, that were talking about it. So when I started, I was like, well, that's kind of a good name for that too. So that's just kind of where Uncaged the Lion came from. It's, it's about both uncaging biblical truth and also um, kind of unleashing a, a masculinity that's, that's, I think, in a lot of men that they maybe don't know how to access or, or to express um, in our modern feminized world, especially in, in the church context, because you and I both know that um, a lot of modern evangelical churches are very feminized. So that was a big mm-hmm. spur for me as to 
kind of the difference between the two accounts. I, I mostly post on Instagram, like I mentioned, but um, I, I use Twitter a lot to actually just structure my posts. I don't really, I don't scroll on Twitter much and I don't really interact on Twitter a whole lot, but I'll post on Twitter and then screenshot it and use it for my posts elsewhere. I just like that Got format. It. And um, my at the Will Layton account, I just wanted to have an account that was that was a little bit separate. I, I mostly talk about the same things, but it's kind of evolved into a backup account for Uncaged Line because I started Uncaged Line first. And so I, you know, started getting warnings from from Instagram about, you know, my content being censored and stuff. And I could see the, the <laughs> massive, you know, <laughs> the massive drop in in um in engagement, uh, especially. It's really interesting. Like if you look at your stories, how many people will view your stories? Like I could have like fifteen hundred people view it one day, the next day it'll be like two hundred max. And kind of depending right. on what I post, it gets throttled big time. So um I was just like, it's probably a good idea if I start backing up some of my content and building an audience other than just right here. Because at that point, I'd probably mm -hmm. been um, posting on Uncaged Line for maybe two years. And so I was like, how about I just start something else also so that, you know, people can also, if, if I get uh, zucked, as they say, um, right. <laughs> there'll be something else there. So that's how I use it right now. And it might evolve into something else, but um, that's how I use it currently. Um, and yeah, that's, I was going to say, I kind of got derailed there. I was going to say that it started as a book idea, um, Uncaged the Lion. I was mm. gonna, I was gonna write a book, and I started writing about it. Um, and then I was, I was just like, man, I, I just want to get some of these ideas out there first, and just kind of test the waters. So I started the Instagram account as a way of posting about things, just to do something. Because my big struggle was being a perfectionist. Like I'd always like it have to be perfect before I'd, I'd want to do it. And maybe you're the same really? way. I don't know. You seem like you might be. Yeah. yeah you seem like you might be similar. So. I was just like, okay, let me just get <laughs> something out clue? there because, <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, probably Will, your name's Will. So that's the, there's the first clue there. Exactly. Um, but, um, I just wanted to get something out because, you know, I, I had so many ideas and things that I, you know, a lot of ambition and I knew that if, if it wasn't perfect, I didn't want to post it or do it. So I was like, maybe, the, you know, maybe I should just start something and just see what happens. And, and people, yeah. I was really blown away that people actually cared about what I had to say. And um, just saying kind of normal things, or at least what I thought was, was normal or obvious. And it really wasn't. And it um, kind of just organically grew um, that way. And so it was, it was nice to see. And it's been, you know, three years coming. I don't, I don't have a, an insane following, but it's a, mo a modest amount and it's all organic and, and people that interact um, a lot with with my content, you know, I've noticed that the people that do follow me seem to really um, they stick around for the long haul, which is uh, kind of cool, you know, because you can build relationships that way. Um, so yeah, that's all my long winded answer. Um, you'll get a lot of those from me. Uh, um, and so yeah, what, what else would you like to know? I mean, long-winded answers. First of all, that was not a long-winded answer. That was perfect. And second of all, even if it were, I think that's one of the reasons that people really like listening to this podcast, if I had to guess, is that, you know, the guests have the, the space and the and the time to answer the questions thoroughly. So, you know, don't feel right. at all like, a, you know, I need quick soundbite kind of material. Like, let's let's dig into it. Because that was exactly, that was exactly what I was looking for. In fact, that was the thing that struck me about the stuff that you wrote, is that, like, it felt really... Um, it felt really rich and really thoughtful and really thought through and very solid. Like it wasn't, it didn't seem like, and it still doesn't seem like the, um, the stuff that you were writing was something you just like dashed off one day and I'm just going to see if this lands. I mean, it makes sense that 
you were having conversations about the stuff since a very young age. So you'd had years to think through it before you decided to kind of take the leap and, and putting it out there. You said that the, the man, was that Frank Speed was, it was a relative or. Uh, No, just a family friend, good family friend to this day. Um, And he, he actually was um, in, in Maine here. I'm from Maine. Uh, We were talking about this Mm. before. Um, I live in Northern Maine and he, he actually was a Christian radio host for a little bit here so at a local station oh, okay. for a long, actually not a little bit, a, a long portion of his life. And so by the time that I met him, he had kind of gotten done with that because he was seeing the progressive creep into into the radio station that he was working with. And so he got out of that and was just, just focusing on kind of, um, focusing on his own household. Um, and... Mm-hmm. And so we spent a lot of time together because I, you know, I was friends with his kids. We were in the same grade and I'd just go over, hang out. And then, and then, you know, they'd all get, you know, they'd all conk out or whatever on the couches. And I'd still be up talking with Frank about these, you know, I'd be asking him questions mm-hmm. constantly. So um, very curious from a young age and especially about these topics. I just thought they were so interesting. Um, and it helps that I, I have a, like, I had a very masculine father and a very feminine mother. Um, I still do to this day. Mm. Um, he, a man of many faults, but I, as I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate him even more. Um, even his, you know, faults, yeah. notwithstanding we all have faults, of course, but when you're, when it's your own dad, you can really see them even more. You get to an age where he's, he's the hero, he's the hero, he's the hero. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get let down in some way and you start you're picking them apart. And, um, something that I've always had to, it humbles me is, about honoring your mother and your father. Cause I, I constantly, when I, yeah. when I hear that, I constantly realize how much I dishonor him. And especially in the past, uh, how much I've, you know, criticized him more than what was, was, you know, and I'm, and I'm so lucky for having such a great provider, a great masculine role model. Um, so that was very helpful because I didn't really have to go through that searching and finding period of, uh, you know, what is manhood? Um, yeah. What does it mean to have a, you know, a, a relationship, a good relationship, and to run a household and stuff, I had a, a very, a very good example at a provider. He, his whole life, he was, to this day, an amazing provider. Uh, a bit of a workaholic, uh, you know, but um, an amazing provider. My mother stayed home, raised us, um, one income. You know, he was always his, an entrepreneur. He built his own businesses, never worked for anyone else. And so, if there was a privilege out there, you know, you hear a lot about white privilege and stuff like that. Um, it's there's definitely a father privilege and i was very privileged in that regard to have uh, such a you know a good masculine role model even with yeah. all of his faults um and it's just it's just a blessing to have that to be able to learn from and try to you know sidestep some of the more obvious ones and obviously we all have our own faults personally and our own sins that we have to deal with but um sure. that was a big thing is that i didn't have to go through um that that searching period that trying you know because a lot of fatherless men, young men in particular, they, it's really rough for them because, um, you know, you and I both yeah. know the importance of a, of a father. We've seen the statistics, we've shared them. Um, and so, and especially a Christian, a Christian father, in, in my household was a little different in that my mom actually brought my dad to the faith. He was a bit of a playboy before um, they got married. Oh, wow. And, you know, he's, you know, tall, handsome, good looking man. And, um, and, when they got married, he was a bit of a playboy, and then he he came to Christ around the time I was born, actually. And so I've never not known uh, a Christian dad and and mom. Um, so very just a, a huge blessing in that regard. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. You're you're so you're so right on about that. Um, that especially the searching that so many men have to do and have had to do for a couple generations, two or three generations at least right now, of men who grew up without fathers or rejected their fathers for various reasons or whose fathers thought, you know, due to feminism, like, oh, I have nothing to pass on to my kids. That's a that's something that I've been thinking a lot about and that I've observed that exists in a couple of the preceding generations that fathers, particularly beginning in like the 60s and after, seem to have gotten the message that to pass on any values to their kids at all, beyond just like the basics, don't get arrested, get a good job, go to college, you know what I mean? Like beyond that was considered oppressive. Like if you try to raise your son into a good man who wants a family, well, you know, that's not cool. Instead, we should raise our daughters to be strong and independent. And the sons got the short end of the stick, not even counting the single motherhood epidemic that came about as a result of no-fault divorce. And so you have the situation of, of generations of men following... No-fault divorce was signed into law in 1969 in California by Ronald Reagan. And uh, and I can talk all about the pushback that was that was overcome by that. Warren Farrell talks about that. But you, right now we have 50 years of, of fatherlessness, unprecedented in human history. Yeah. And so you have a lot of men that go searching for that kind of father energy and they find a lot of older brothers. You know what I mean? Like Andrew Tate is the classic older brother. Like, stop crying, yes. fag. Pardon me that I'm using that word, but you know, it's kind of like, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of to embody the yeah. energy, right? Not that I approve of using that word, but like, that's kind of how the older brother kind of, kind of is. Instead, what we really need is that, is that fathering kind of energy. And it's so hard to find. Um, and so the men who have it and grew up with it, it's a, I, I don't want to call it a competitive advantage, but it almost is. You know what yep. I mean? To know that's like, you have that part of yourself or, or men who had that, have that part of themselves that question has been answered. Uh, like, like uh, if you've read the book uh, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, yes. he talks yeah. about uh, the question that lives at the heart of every man is, do I have what it takes? And I believe it's the father's responsibility to teach his son slowly over the course of his son's lifetime until adulthood, yes, you have what it takes. And for men yeah. that don't get that question answered, they have to go out there in the world and, say, and find out, do I have what it takes? And they either do or they don't. Right. Yeah, and that that's where you get into a lot of the... Um, initiation stuff that you we've kind of in our yeah. circles you start to see is like you know bringing back a young initiation for men you know from from boys into men and kind yeah. of skipping those those uh the made-up teenage years basically but a very modern mm -hmm. concept um and that's something i really appreciated about john eldridge um it, he was the first i ever encountered that kind of talked about that um his book is, is a really good gateway drug so to speak into this yeah. world um I, I suspect I'm far more to the right of John on basically every issue, but um, right. at this point. But when <laughs> I when I first when I first read his book, um, I was like, "Wow, I've never really heard it put like this before." Um, yep, or at least not not from many people. Maybe you know Frank and I would talk about things like that and and whatnot, but I hadn't really seen it out there. Definitely not from any pastors. Um, and yep. And so, yeah, and and this brings me back to I was we were talking about how um, kind of in preparation for for this podcast, I uh, I wanted to listen hmm. to one of your more recent ones. So um, I saw you did one with John Modi, and <laughs> and <laughs> John, that is to. that was that should be required listening or watching for every Christian out there. Um, and yeah. my concern to you was was I'm not sure I can really add anything more to the conversation after 
after having John Moody on because basically everything that he said, I was like, yes, amen, yes, amen, yes, amen. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really met another person online. I've talked to John a few times just in comment sections. I really need to connect with oh, him wow. more. I haven't um, met another person really besides John and maybe a couple others that I, I, I hear everything they say and I'm like, absolutely, yes. Um, I disagree with him yeah. on basically nothing um, and that I've heard yeah. so far. <laughs> And so, sure. and so, um, and it was really interesting to watch cause I was, had the privilege of watching that a lot of times I, I listen, but I was watching uh -huh. it and it was kind of interesting to see you're a, you're a fairly red pilled guy. Um, and it was kind of, it was well, interesting to see. I was funny. It was funny to watch. John was almost sort of red pilling you even further in real time. Yes. And you could see like the lights go off uh, a, a few moments there around the, around the, um, 28 minute mark. Um, he mentions the enlightenment and, um, and really put some pieces together for you, you mentioned. And then um, yeah. later on talks about, um, you know, the kings and stuff, the monarchy getting, you know, that that overthrowing that. And then um, onto a few other topics. And what I wanted to say is that he mentions that there has never been a time, men don't have it, has, have never had it as easy as it is now to stand out from the crowd. That's something he mentions. Um, and what you said about the competitive advantage of just having like a, a strong father figure is he mentioned, he's like, I, I wouldn't, no one would care what I'd have to say, um, you know, 200 years ago or 300 years ago or whatever he said. Um, because yeah. it was just like, yeah, duh. And, um, yeah, sky's blue, have, water and, wet. Yeah, exactly. And men have never had it so easy to stand out. And this is, goes back to what I said before is when I started posting, I thought I was kind of saying somewhat normal things kind of common sense things. And there was such a response that I was so surprised to see that that was like um, a newsflash for people. And and even to this day, people still, um, um, you shared something on your story where someone had mentioned like that they had been learning for a while from, from you and I specifically. And I, I responded mm. to that and I said, you know, it's always humbling to see that the stuff that we post, yeah. people really take to heart and, and um, they really, they listen to it. And, it, and I, I think I brought up, um, it also brings to mind that stricter judgment for teachers because we are in a, in a yep. teaching role, so to speak, not in a pastoral role. I'm not, you know, an ordained minister or anything like that, but um, we are undeniably teaching. You know, we are we are doing that. And so we have to be careful about what we put out there in terms of, you know, leading people astray and things like that. It's always humbling. Um, but yeah, John's absolutely right. There has never been a time to stand out from the crowd. If you're a man, you, you literally just need to kind of understand the basics of masculinity and act upon them. And there, there is such a dearth of masculinity out there, such a dearth of good biblical men that women, single women, good Christian women, um, they're just like, I can't find a man anywhere. Where are they? Um, and so yeah. you can really stand out of the crowd pretty easily, like he said, uh, at this point in time, you know, a couple hundred years ago, not, not quite the same. But it is a competitive edge right. for sure. Yes, it's a, and it's a it's a it's an enormous it's enormous blessing. I don't I don't like the language of um, of and this isn't a criticism, but just my own like it, I don't like the language of privilege so much because it's been so it's been so polluted, right? This idea that yeah. having any sort of like privilege in any kind of way is just immediately it's it has this it ha they try to make it have the stain of like original sin. You know what I mean? Like to the leftists, the word privilege is their equivalent of original sin. That's their, that's their theology. But there is something very powerful about this idea about like intact families, you know, strong, strong fathers, 
you know, single income household, right? At all these things yeah. are like the the basics of humanity for thousands of years. And it's it's the it's the most important thing to get people to realize like, no, no, you you don't get it. Feminism is the radical thing. Like for yeah. for all of recorded history, this is the way society was. And you are the radicals. And it's showing now as like society is beginning to literally kind of tear itself apart. The center, the center will yeah. not hold. And yet when you say things like that to people, it's like it like suddenly you're the radical. It's like, yeah, no, I I would kind of like a wife to, to you know to stay home. We'll build a productive household together, you know, and she'll make the home and I'll create the business, but we'll we'll work, we'll collaborate, we'll live in the same environment, we'll do these things together. Like, yeah, I don't want my wife to work outside the home for another man. I want us to work together. It's like, oh my gosh, you're some sort of crazy patriarchal oppressor. It's like, that was how it was for literally hundreds and thousands of years until the Industrial Revolution, which is basically yesterday, right? When uh, actually one of the things that I've been telling people lately that they've never heard before and, and that I read in Nancy Piercy's book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, which was really good. Not only did the Industrial Revolution take dad out of the home, but it also began taking away all of women's productive labor and automating it. So the first thing to go, women used to make all the clothes, like homespun clothing. Well, the textile mills came and took that away. And then they took away food production, right? And so the house becomes increasingly automated. And so you have like machines doing all the work that women used to pour their creativity into. And so, yeah, it becomes super alienating. And like most women have, women have never thought about that, that the idea of a father has been outsourced to the government, but the idea of a mother has been outsourced to industry. And so yeah. who the heck are we now? Right. It's like, That's well, let's be something, let, let's, let's be something else. Yeah. After this is, I appreciate you noticing that, that John Moody red pilled me, red pilled me even deeper shades because that, that lived rent free. That interview lived rent free in my head, as I said, many times, you know, for weeks, yeah. like, okay, I'm gonna have to refigure out the universe now. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's been a hollowing out of the, of yes. the especially American household, and 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 you guys go into that in in the podcast as well, and and the thing about John is, um, I I was coming to all these same conclusions um, before I ever encountered John, just from various mm -hmm. um, you know stepping stones of getting more and more um, red pilled in in the biblical sense. Um, yes. And, and I have a, a buddy, Noah, who was like, for like two years, he's like, dude, you need to check out this John Moody guy. And I just, I just was busy, you know, raising little kids. And I just, you know, mm -hmm. you know had, had a baby and then another baby soon after and, and this and that. And, and I never got around to, John, you know, checking out his stuff. And then when I finally did, I was at the same point that he was. We both independently came to a lot of the same conclusions about the Enlightenment and about a lot of other things. And, and for me, that trail kind of started with um with going from a complementarian a conservative complementarian mm -hmm. um you know constitutional okay, interesting. constitutional you know republican you know you know the the founding fathers were like the best thing ever and the constitution was the best thing ever ever written and right. um and and a complementarian to i i from writing over the, you know, you can actually see it. You can see the change in my posts a little bit over the years. I start to understand the concept of oh. uh, biblical patriarchy more. And I was definitely more of a biblical patriarchist complementarian, if there is such a thing. Um, mm. But I, I definitely leaned more on the on the right side. 
right? But I just ca- thought that was just mm-hmm. complementarianism. I thought that that was just faithful complementarianism. And then I started to realize the, I read uh, Zach Garris's book. I, I came to this conclusion before then, but it really solidified it for me. Have you read his book, um, Masculine? Yeah, Christian yeah, I had, I had him on the podcast also. Oh, you did? Okay, so then you're, you know, I don't need to tell you then, but that was a really good, it sliced and diced the complementarian view and it put words yeah. to what I was, it put words to what I was feeling and sensing and noticing is that complementarianism is essentially functional. It's functionally egalitarianism um, everywhere except for maybe yeah. um, in, 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 in marriage, right? And so I became a pretty solid biblical patriarchist uh, maybe two years ago or something like that. And you can see the change in tenor in my posts a little bit. And then that led me to a bunch of other, you know, rabbit trails and things like that. Um, you know, I started looking into like, for instance, uh, head covering and, uh, and, and some of these other biblical practices. And, um, and I started to realize that if I'm going to be consistent in my beliefs, and that's a big topic right there. So that, that's a big, you know, hot button topic, yeah. even amongst conservative Christians. That's a big, that's a big one. No. Um, but I've posted about it on, on my, I have a, I think a, a highlight on my Uncaged the Lion on kind of my thoughts on, on head covering and stuff. So if if anyone's interested, they can go check it out there because I can probably, I've probably fleshed it out there a little bit better than I can do off the top of my head here. But mm-hmm. I researched it pretty in depth early, the early part of this year, probably four or five months, just only researching it. Um, wow. And yeah, so it was, it was something that I was really, I wanted to get right um, because there was a lot of conflict going on about it in the, in the space. And so I really wanted to, come to a pretty firm conclusion on it, independent, you know, so I, I dug into a lot of the old, older sources and read a lot of, you know, the old dead guys, the smart old dead guys who are a lot smarter than, than us. Um, Wait, were, they, were they white dead guys? Because you shouldn't <laughs> yeah, that's the key. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, they were. Yeah. Um, uh, amazing. And so, you know, one thing led to another and, and you can see the the change over the course of the, the years, um, you know, a little bit at a time, but um, basically, that led me to the belief that, you know, if I'm going to be consistent, if you would have, I'm rambling here a little bit, but if you would have asked me two or three years ago, do I think that, and John touches on this too, which is funny, do do I think that, you know, women, that we should repeal the 19th Amendment? I would have said, are you crazy? What do you mean? That's very (laughs) radical. Now I'm like, absolutely, I'll do it tomorrow in a heartbeat. Um, and, Mm And it's just, it's just, the transition has been not being ashamed of what the Bible actually says about men and women and in in the hard in the hard places and actually applying right. the things that you say that you believe consistently to the other spheres the the spheres you know sovereignties there's a you know a book out there about that um Kuiper. applying it to the other spheres yeah and um and applying it consistently and once i decided to to do that it just kind of it all opened up it made sense um, and so in, in terms of patriarchal, that was like, yes, only, only men. And like John said, you know, not even all men should be able to vote. Um, you know, there should be right. you know, pretty, pretty, you know, substantial limitations on that, but definitely no women, you know, no women pastors. That was something I was already on board with, but, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, that's a whole nother topic. Of course, that's a huge, a huge hot button topic. Then actually got me into why, the, but go ahead. Sorry. Right. It, it seems, it seems very clear cut and dry, but man, people love to twist scriptures. Um, That's true. Especially when you've been seeped your entire life in modern egalitarian thought, feminist thought. Yeah. Even the conservative people, the really conservative people, they're still operating on a foundation of of that egalitarian. That's why you have to 
that's why you have to understand what the enlightenment did and you mm -hmm. kind of have to roll back the curtain prior to that to really see okay what actually has happened in the last two three hundred years from you know the the late 1600s early 1700s until now and so um that led me to the belief that like okay if i'm going to be consistent then patriarchy father rule is is for the household it's also for the church it's also for the mm -hmm. civil realm you can see justifications for that in the bible uh, very clearly um so i had to admit okay well then i can't be a complementarian and um and then that led me to some other beliefs like i like i was saying about the democracy thing and, and stuff like that i'm i'm yeah, actually, I, I never would have thought this, but I'm actually at the point where I'm I'm more of a Christian monarchist now. I think that that's more of the mm. biblical model um, because it's applying patriarchy, the concept of patriarchy, consistently to the civil sphere. Um, you know, mm -hmm. a monarch is just a patriarch on on a civil sphere, and that led me just recently, within the last month, to the view of probably like a, an Episcopal form of church government being the best with with bishops or patriarchs, I guess, as the, the Eastern Orthodox call them. Um, Pres Presbyters, and, and so it's, it's, maybe. Yeah, well, I'm also I, I like I like Presbyterian um, as well, but it's applying that consistently across the board that has kind of mm. uh, blown you know blown my mind because that's the way that God designed the world, and so mm. when you when you see that it's kind of hard to unsee it. So anyway, I went on a little bit of a, a train of thought there, but it's it's something I wanted to touch upon. Um, because a lot of the things that you talked about with John Moody, I think can easily flow right into that. Yes, I agree. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something that starts clicking into place about a lot of different ideas. Once you really start reading scripture and see what it says and looking, looking closely at it, particularly with regard to the family, and it all spreads yeah. outwards from there. And scripture is clear. It is clear, right? This, there's no, yes, you can twist it. You can bend it all around. But when you actually read the book for yourself, just read the words, pick whatever translation, pick the ESV. I read the NASB, whichever one, you know, most, most works with how you like to read and then yeah. just read it. And, and like, okay, do we have the courage to say what the book says? Right. right. And, and the answer for most people for that is like, well, no, we don't. Okay. Well, no, when, then what do you when, it, and, and when then, it messes with your modern priors, all of a sudden you don't. Yes. And that's that's yes. the thing we have yeah. to get back before we're so steeped in modern thought. We have to get back before that to actually understand what the like we are so far from what the biblical authors would have understood about culture and and yeah. and, and, and and the things that go around with that. We're so far from that that when we read the Bible with a, through a modern lens, it's almost impossible to to not come to all these various different conclusions that that we can happily think that we're being consistent for years and years until maybe we really dig into it and then realize how did I not see that before? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I think and I think a lot of it. This is just my own research where my thoughts have been coming to is I you know I listen to uh, Doug Wilson a lot of those guys talk about church history and they say which I think is true for a lot of modern evangelicals church history begins with Billy Graham. Like, okay, I could kind of understand that. I, I mean, again, I'm new to the face. So I don't really know who Billy Graham is. So I've gone looking into Billy Graham. Like, who is this guy? And as, as, as I've taken a look at him, it's like civil rights crusader, you know, good friends with Martin Luther King, who's actually getting his legacy just destroyed. I don't know if you saw all I, that this year. I, yeah, I, I shared I shared some of that too. I was happy to see that. Yeah, he's a hero. Yeah, yeah, it's coming around. Simple, so, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and and, and all the all, you know the 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 unassailable saint, one of America's unassailable saints. You know, like Martin Luther King, right. uh, Abraham Lincoln is another one. You know that people are starting to take a really yeah. hard, close look at. And you know, I haven't I dug third, into even, I haven't dug into that yet, but I, I mean to. Oof. I definitely plan on it. So I have lots There's of friends that have like really dug into it. So I know I like I kind of know behind the scenes a little bit on what I'm gonna find, but I haven't really done it for myself yet, if you know what I mean. I do, I do. There's a there's a YouTube channel called Razor Fist, and he did a breakdown, like a 40 minute breakdown of Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War and stuff like that about how there's there's these Amer these founding American myths that are unchallengeable. The Civil War being one of them, and World War II yes. being another one, right? And so you just you don't go looking at that because like the Amer the American mythos is embodied in that. And so what the left does is the left says, well, we have to go looking into, you know, uh, Christopher Columbus, and we have to go looking into like things like the Gadsden Purchase and the Westward Expansion, right? And the cowboy mythos, yeah. they go looking into that, but oh no, don't look into, don't look into the Civil right. War, right? So it's like, yes. well, you started this, you know what I mean? Let's actually start looking into yeah. the root causes and the impetus behind it. I love what I do. What is that you might add? Well, after mentoring dozens of men over the past couple years, they all tell me one thing. In my mentorship, I help men get unstuck. Men get stuck for all kinds of reasons. Maybe there are events in your past haunting you with regret. Sometimes there are sticky situations in the present that need a fresh perspective. Maybe you're having trouble envisioning your future. Meanwhile, some men have bad habits and false beliefs about themselves, the world, and God, some of which they inherited. And many of you have questions about the faith that you can't seem to find a pastor to answer, at least not in a way that doesn't feel like he's looking over his shoulder to see if there are women listening. I get it. These situations and many more are the kinds of things I help men with. It's what I've always wanted to do, long since before I set out on the road to travel, and I can help you too. This isn't therapy, where I listen benignly and nod without challenging you. I definitely don't have a problem digging in and getting hands-on with what you say. It's not a coaching program either, where I beat you over the head with a baseball bat. If you need that, I recommend you visit the Manosphere department. It's in the basement. Instead, what you get in the mentorship is the same man you hear on this podcast. Someone willing to listen, get to the bottom of things, point out the flaws, push back when necessary, and get you moving towards the truth of who God made you to be as a man. I am proud of this program and the results my clients have achieved, including significant amounts of weight loss, renewed marriages, unforgettable adventures, businesses started, new lives begun in new towns, expanded incomes, and genuine experiences of love and connection with family and friends, and the feeling of being really appreciated for once. There's more, but you probably wouldn't believe me if I told you. But let's just say I've seen for myself that with faithfulness and dedication, Miracles are absolutely possible. Praise God. What could a mentorship with me do for you? The answers are as rich and complex as your life. And that's what I'm there for, to help you discover them. To learn more, visit renofmen.com mentorship and click enroll now for a free 30-minute explore call where we find out together what mentorship can do for you. On that page, you can view 10 video testimonials to get a sense of the kind of men I've helped and what their results have been. You don't have to take my word for it. It is my great privilege and blessing to be part of men's lives in a way that changes them, and I can assure you that it's not all me. 
A man once said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And that man plays a pretty big role in this process too. Again, if you're ready to get unstuck and get your life moving, 2024 is waiting. And so am I. Visit rentofmen.com mentorship to find out more. And let's get you going. And uh, just to just to finish the thought about, um, well, I, I lost the thought about Doug Wilson and, and all that. But so that, like we'll just we'll just rush off on this you, because you you I, got on you got onto Billy Graham and, and kind of revival. Oh yeah, uh, well yeah, oh that's right. And so and so looking at Billy Graham and seeing the things he talked about, and then seeing the things he didn't talk about. Right when you start beginning to get a sense of what topics of historical Christianity, particularly Calvinism, got sawed off. You know what I mean in the in preaching a gospel that wanted to reach more and more people. So going for size over truth and beginning to get a sense like maybe not him specifically, but what has led to all the softening of doctrine in America? Well, like we come back from World War II. This is the story that I'm kind of making up. Obviously, I wasn't alive, but we come back from World War II. You have millions of American men, hundreds of thousands or millions of American men dead right in the in rotting in in the in the south pacific or in or in europe or the rest of the men come back with serious shell shock you know post traumatic stress is what we call it now and then you're trying to rebuild a civilization that's like well let's see we just saw the horrors of world war 2 and then we had the great depression and then we had you know world war 1 all within memory and so where is god in all this right with a real crisis of of the american consciousness and so what was provided was not God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over all. It was something a little bit softer and a little bit easier to take. And maybe not all that much softer, but it only gets softer after that point. And so now we have these woke evangelical churches that can't give people basic truths about the family. And that's what it was always going to be. That's what it was, yeah. that's where it was always going to be going to be undermined. And so to talk yeah. about this is what God says men and women are for men and women are for period period and no one wants to hear it right so so and so just the last thought i'll share is that you're right we're not ordained ministers i'm not right i didn't even grow up in the faith however however why is it that men like us out in these kind of parachurch kind of roles are the ones saying these things i shouldn't have a job we shouldn't have to be talking about this. It should be like John Moody where it's like, yeah, no one cares what I have to say. Cause I just basically told them, you know, sky up right. ground down. Right. And, and I kind of feel thing. like, I kind of feel like that sometimes where it's like, what, what else is there for me to say? And, and, and then, you know, I'll get some inspiration <laughs> yeah. here and there. Like, if you notice, I don't post super consistently. Like I probably could, I probably have a lot more followers by now. Um, sure. cause you know, when I do post, I get a lot of engagement um, um, generally speaking in terms of a ratio from like the amount of followers I have sure. to the amount of engagement. And so if I was more consistent, I think it, I'd really have grown a lot more, but I get almost tired of saying the same thing over and over again, because it's like what, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm saying, I am talking about different topics, but it's all basically around the same worldview, the, the same foundational thing. And once you grasp that, it's like these other things I'm talking about are a natural outgrowth of that worldview. And it's just a biblical mm -hmm. patriarchal worldview. Um, mm -hmm. And so I almost get like, is, can I really, is there anything more for me to add? <laughs> I feel like that sometimes. And then I'll say something and then, you know, yeah. it'll blow up and I'll be like, well, I guess it, there's still a need out there for people to hear this. 
um, whether, you know, it's a lot, I, like I get a lot more, um, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I get a lot more positive feedback now, um, than I, than I did in, in the beginning. Um, and kind of rarely get the, the really negative responses at this point. I do get them still. Um, but it's, it's kind right. of interesting. I'm reaching more people now and I'm actually getting less. So it's, it's kind of good to see that, that the online, uh, Overton window and into these topics at least is, is kind of moving more towards the, the right, the more towards the biblical patriarchal view of things. Yeah. Um, one time, I, I think I cut you off there. I, I wanted to um, That's fine. finish this thought, though. Um, one of my most controversial posts I, I ever did was was the one I thought would be the least controversial of all. And <laughs> it, it it's I actually have archived it at this point because I was tired of blocking people. It was it was that it was that bad. It um I posted this this post on my I think it was on my at. Uh, the Will Layton account, but it might have been on occasions because I'll do like the double, like the thing where you can add like a collaborator so that I don't have to post it twice. It just mm. automatically posts to both pages. And I mm. posted it and it was just my, it was my story of how I met my wife and kind of the practical steps that I took uh, um, oh, wow. from the outset. Because, it, you know, I get a lot of questions around these things. I'm sure you field questions all the time. I, I get DMs all the time, especially from, you know, um, the women that, you know, want to know, you know, uh, maybe what to look for in a biblical man or what red flags to look for, or maybe, you know, they, they want to know how to this or that or whatever, or guys that want to know, okay, what, you know, how can I be more appealing to a biblical woman? I get, I field questions like that all the time. And so I just was like, I'll just make a post and just explain what I did. It's, you know, pretty simple. Um, and, her over the and, head so, and dragged her off. And, and so I made this post and I'm like, so it's been a while now, this may be a year and a half ago. And I basically said this. I literally just said how we met and what I what I did. And my advice was, I'm not saying you have to do it exactly like this, but just be upfront and honest with with the woman that you're you're dating. When I met my wife, she's 25. I'm 28. Okay, there's a three year age okay. gap between us. Not okay. much. All right, pretty pretty normal. Right. So I mm -hmm. had just graduated from high school. I was 19 years old, and she was oh, wow. a she was a junior in high school. And it was, I had moved to a, a different town, like 30 minutes from where I grew up and graduated. And, um, I had a friend living with me at the time who had got kicked out of his house for whatever reason. And I was, he was a few grades younger than, so he was still in school. So I was actually bringing him to like wrestling practice and things like that. I was bringing him to the school. And so that's how I met my wife. She was a junior. She was 16. I was 19. I had just graduated. Mm -hmm. And when we started dating, I told her up front, she wasn't a Christian. She grew up in a Methodist household that was just socially Christian, not, you know, a progressive Methodist kind of, okay. you know, she, she grew up going to church with like five old ladies in it and singing some hymns. And, you know, um, I'm sure that, you know, a female pastor probably or, or whatever, if that's even, yeah. you can't, it's not a thing, but you know, they think it's a thing. Um, and, <laughs> and so she knew, she knew of there. God, but she knew of God. And she believed in God, but she didn't. She didn't know Christ, um, and so she didn't know the gospel really. And mm. but she was not. She was not a feminist, and she's a, she's actually the youngest of of fifteen. She has ten or nine older full siblings, and then five older half siblings. Um, and so when we met, I was like, I'm not going to marry a non Christian, first of all. And she was open. To Christianity. She wasn't a, not a raging feminist. She had no prior. She was 
she was a virgin. Okay, I was her first boyfriend. She was, um, she she didn't want to go to college. She was a, a genetic phenom when it came to like sports and stuff. She had all kinds of full ride scholarships. She was like set every record for every sport that she played. She blew out all the, the boys' records for soccer. She scored the most goals of all time in her school. I mean, just she's just amazing when it came to sports. She didn't want to go to college. She hated schoolwork. She wanted to be a mom. And that's what I wanted. So I was like, cool, um, I'll hmm. provide for you. You never have to work a day in your life. Um, and you know, stay home, raise a family. I want a lot of kids. She came from a big family, so she was fine with that. And um, mm -hmm. I basically just listed those things. And, and what I told her, you know, in those things that I listed when I was writing that post was, I'm gonna be the head of household. I'll have final say. I said this to her when we were dating, you know, a few months into dating. I said, I'm not gonna marry someone who thinks that they're gonna wear the pants. I'm the head of household. Yep. I have the final say when it, when it comes to decisions. I'm going to listen to your input. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, take your wisdom on things like the Bible, you know, would expect me to do. Um, but if we come to an impasse, someone has to make the decision. So I'm going to do that. Um, and, and, you know, some other things, you know, I want you to stay home. I don't want you to be a career woman. I, you know, I want to raise a bunch of kids with you, you know, pretty basic things. And so I just listed those mm. things in the post that I said to her. And I, and I, my exhortation to men was just do what I did. Just be honest up front. And um, that post went absolutely viral on uh, Reddit. It was like a it was like a fundy um, uh, Reddit subreddit that was like you know, making fun of fundamentalists mm -hmm. or whatever. And I never, I actually never went mm -hmm. and saw it. Um, some friends let me know. A friend from my from uh, middle school found my account through that and was like, "Is this you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I had no. I, I just noticed like all these trolls were like." were like saying really nasty things to me, like calling me a groomer and all kinds of just like crazy, like very demonic things. I mean, the demons came out of the woodwork on this post. And I was yeah. so surprised because I thought it was one of the most normal things I had said, like one of the least, like I wasn't trying to be edgy, nothing like that. Like it was just very, just like, hey, this is what I did. And I think it was like, by the time I had found out about it, it had gone viral on Reddit with like two or 300,000 uh, like responses and comments. And, you know, 99.99% negative, like vitriolically negative. And then a few days later, it had calmed down. A few days later, someone else posted it to a different Reddit and it went viral again to the same degree. And so within the course oh of gosh. a week, it went viral twice on two different subreddits. Um, just the fact that I, that I said those things. And I've never had a post do that. And it was like literally the most simple Things I mean, I've had posts go like somewhat viral before, but nothing to that degree. I mean, it was hundreds and thousands of demonic replies. Um, you know, like Brian Sauvé level, wow. like like that. It was it was like Brian Sauvé level viral, and 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 so I just I just archived the post, and I was like, I'm getting so tired of blocking people. I had to block people like all day long. I was constantly looking at my phone because I had to block people. And I was like, this just isn't healthy. So right. I just archived the post, but. Um, I just wanted to share that story because that kind of is, I don't know, take that whatever lesson there is in that. I don't, I don't really know what it is, but anyway, I thought it'd be uh, interesting to share. It was kind of on topic. No, I, I appreciate that. Cause I, I have a bunch of questions because I've had, I've had a similar experience, not in my content, but a little bit in real life. And so I'm, I'm curious to know what were the, what was the, what was the primary 
the primary con like you were getting many many comments hundreds of thousands and i can get it what was what was the thing that they were primarily objecting to i mean like setting aside that you were 19 and she was 16 like yeah whatever like that's 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 kind of a i don't i don't see that as necessarily necessarily valid um but what was what were what did you feel like they were their primary saying other than that like yeah i get the groomer part but like there's something else in there that they were responding to or reacting to um well i never actually <laughs> I never actually went and read the what was being said about that post. I was like, that's probably oh, okay. not a healthy thing to do. And so a couple of, yeah. a couple of friends read it. Uh, I sent it to a couple of friends and I asked him like the next day, I'm like, how bad was he? He's like, it's bad. He's like, it's, it's really it's bad. bad. And he's like, he's like, he's like, but there's some, there was some really funny comments in there. He read one to me that was, that he thought was hilarious. And it was like disparaging towards me, but it was actually funny. I laughed at it. I was like, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I forget what it <laughs> is now, this person, but I, this I, points. yeah, it was, it was, it was really funny. Um, I, I can't remember. It was something about like, you know, me letting her make a choice about something. And, um, I don't know what it was, but <laughs> it was really funny, but I never actually re went and read those things. I probably would just have gone crazy if I did or whatever. I, I mean, I can take the heat. It's not a big deal. Um, but you know, yeah. that was a whole new level of pushback. I had never experienced something like that before. And so I was like, nah, I'll just, you know, I won't look into it. But basically the, the ones that I did see that were on the actual Instagram post um, was it was that like groomer thing. And they, what they hated was the idea that I was, that she was young, she was a virgin, that she um, had no debt. And, and, and I was this guy coming in and, and molding her um, view of the world to be to to step oh. into a, a marriage to not go to college and not you know sleep around and things like that and and basically they they were objecting to the point that that's what i was like grooming her for and i'm like that's exactly what the bible says to do that's you know marry <laughs> marry a, a marry a young pure woman and lead her in in yeah. in righteousness and and you know um, you see yeah. that with like uh, Lori Alexander posted like the debt-free virgin thing all the time. It's true. It's I mean, it's true. Mm -hmm. Like men prefer debt-free virgins. Like you just have to, you know, yeah. if if you say otherwise, you know, you're you know, generally speaking, you're lying. And so that's you know, I want. I saw that she was marriage yeah. material. I I um I had dated a few girls through high school. I wasn't like I wasn't a playboy or anything, but I had dated a few girls. I was not sin-free. Um, um, and mm. and I was kind of coming back out of my high school rebellion to kind of, hmm. uh, you know, a repentance in, in Christ and really getting into like apologetics and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to do it right this time around. And, um, and so when I met her, I was like, oh, she's marriage material. She's not like a raging feminist. She wants to have a household and, you know, this and the, have kids and she's a virgin and doesn't want to go to college. So no college debt and all this stuff. And we have the same values basically. And she, she just didn't really know the gospel. She had never really heard it. She believed in God, but didn't really know the Bible because she went to a progressive Methodist church for, you know, her childhood. And then after that, they, you know, they never even went to church after that, probably by the time she was in middle school or high school. And so, um, I was like, you know, I like her and she's cute and, uh, I can see her as the mother of my children. And so I just did what the Bible tells me to do. I know I was upfront with her and, um, and that just, it blew people's minds. I had never seen a response like that other than on like, again, some of like Brian Sauvé's posts, like his, he's, he's had responses mm -hmm. that bad and more, but I had never received it. I had received a lot of bad responses to my stuff, but I thought I was like, this is going to be like the most low key post I've ever done. <laughs> it was the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, that was the basic idea. It mm-hmm. was just they were they were objecting to the fact that I was um, that I was teaching her biblical Christianity essentially. Um, that's not what they would say, but mm-hmm. that that is what their objection was. That you know they would vo- they voiced it in a, in a different way, in a much more vitriolic way. But that is that was the issue. So the, so so their primary objection was that they would have said maybe in not so many words that you were brainwashing her. Right, like yeah, you're getting I mean, in early was, and you're programming her when she's really young. Yeah, that's yeah, that was basically that was basically what they were saying when when they would throw all the all the groomer and stuff like that stuff around. Yeah. Um, but I just you know I found that I found that hilarious because um, you know as Christians we all have a worldview, we're all propagandized to something, and and all I care about is being propagandized to the truth. That's a that the word like propaganda. That is a very like has a lot of negative connotations to it, and 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 um, yeah. you know, or or brain brainwashing in particular. Um, but like every propaganda is. Just, I had this um, high school teacher, high school history teacher. He was a, he was a real hardball, and he was he was a smart guy. But he made us memorize propaganda is inf- information to influence. We had to like every time we went into his class. That's what we said. That was the definition. That was if you gave any other definition to propaganda, he would like he would like flunk you. Um, and hmm. it's information to influence. And and I think that's true. And and we all, depending on our worldview, if we're Christians, we want to give people information to influence them to the truth. I mean, I I, I believe truth is singular, right? I I believe that we can apprehend truth, that we can know it. That there, I, I am vehemently against the idea of relativism and stuff. I know, I know you are too, but it's worth mm. saying. Um, and, and we all are propagandized to something, right? And uh, in the modern world, it's egalitarian feminism. That's what we're propagand from the womb onwards. Yep. That's what that is. That rules the roost. And so, when you come in with an, an unapologetic biblical stance on things. It is, yeah. it is seen so, it's like a vehement attack towards their, the very fiber of their being. Um, the, yeah. a, an attack against, like John would say, radical um, individual, um, individualism. And so, yes. and, and so that what was, that's the core of what was going on there. Because what I said was absolutely no news at all to anybody living, to, to their great-grandparents. To all those people that flipped out about mm-hmm. it, to their great grandparents, it was like, uh, yeah. And so, <laughs> so something's wrong, something's broken in modern society. Yeah. Um, if that's the response to just a basic, you know, this is what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, um, I don't talk about my personal life much on the podcast, but I can share that um, I've experienced some of this in my personal life because, uh, you know, as I've been dating, uh, I've talked to a number of different women who will say things like they're looking for a biblical marriage, a good Christian man, stuff like that. Like, cool, start talking, spend a little bit of time, you know, getting to know each other. And then I will just simply say things exactly like what you said, right? Like, this is what I'm looking for, head of household, productive household, making a home, protect, provide, nurture life, like all these really basic biblical things. And the explosion of feminism that has come out as a result of that has, has actually ended up being really, it's been, it's been hurtful, um, at times. And I don't, I I don't take it personally. I I don't get mad about it, but to recognize that, um, 
this feminist programming runs so much deeper in in women and in people because as I've reached out to uh, friends and family members who are who are not believers, I've many I've many believing believing friends that have been great supports for me and examples and inspirations to me, and I have friends and family members who are not. And as I've tried to talk to them about these experiences, I've had to walk them through the ideas that we just talked about, right? So trying trying to generate sympathy from my loved ones, attempting to give them an idea like that is so deeply confronting to them. And it's like, it, it really, it really introduced me. I think it's really easy to get into social media and to live in kind of like social media bubble world. And yeah. I had a good friend of mine say, very successful creator on Twitter, like, feminism's on its last legs. Like, you know, we've got, I've got them on the run. And I was like, bro, like, I love you, bro, but go outside. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, and I love the guy. I no say idea. this with all, with all, you have no idea. It's still the default religion. It's still the default religion of America. And um, what I told him, as, as I said, look, feminism will be on the run and over when the next generation of mothers and fathers, which would be at this point, what millennials would probably be young parents, Gen Z might be getting there depending on how old they are, um, are, are like, yeah, no, we're not raising our daughter to go to college. She won't have a career. She'll be a, she'll be a, a, a stay at home mother. And that's how we're raising. That's when feminism will be done. But like I said, yeah. I think a lot of people um, will are, are very happy to say things like, oh yeah, no, I'm not feminist. Right. And then you tell them like, well, are you going to raise your daughter to get married at 19, 20, 21, 22? Maybe she'll go to New St. Andrews College, if that, and and watch them hesitate, right? And I, yeah. I, liken it to, I liken it to people from California or blue states who move to red states. Like, yeah, okay, you saw that uh, liberal social policies lead to the demolition of your cities and states. Okay, fine. So you move to Texas or you move to Arizona or Florida or whatever. And then the presidential election comes around. Are you going to pull the lever for Trump or not? If you're not going to pull the lever for Trump, don't talk to me about you've, you've come around on your liberal values because you really haven't. And feminism right. is like that, but times a billion, it's times a billion. Right. And so, and so what I've experienced is that firsthand, like person to person, you know, being, being the man that I am talking about the things that I do and like reading the Bible for myself is like, this is not Will Spencer's law, right? I didn't make this up, right? I got a yeah. stack of books, including the Bible to back me up on this. And then to have it flipped around on me, you know, and to see it just explode out as it has been, it's been very, very difficult. And so I, yeah. I, um, and so I can relate very much to what you've, to what you've experienced in, in my own way. Um, and it's, it's tough. It's really, it's really, really tough. And so yeah, yeah, I, and I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, no, actually just finish your thought first. No, no, I was, uh, that was, that was basically it. Like, it's just, okay. it's, it's tough living in the, in the world the way things are right now for, for various reasons, yeah. talking about what were considered obvious truths for hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I, um, that's why I tend to encourage men to, um, and that's why I love what Lori is doing because she's really unapologetically saying some of those things. And, and you're seeing the the flip yeah. side of that. Maybe it's, it's the way you, the way you said it. Yeah. I was, um, very, very lucky to find a girl that was not completely indoctrinated by the feminist culture. Yeah. Her, her, you know, her mom is a liberal and, um, and you know, she, she had to go to college to, to appease them just a two year degree. 
and and that kind of thing. She did it to you know she actually didn't go into any debt. She um I think she ended up actually having money left over some of this from grants, um but which is rare. Um, but she just went you know, medical, medical assisting degree at a local community college. She had full rides to all these different things. And, um, and she didn't want that. And, and I was lucky to meet a girl that was sort of, you know, on, she wanted the same things I wanted, but she was a blank slate in, in the sense of, um, she, she was not indoctrinated completely by the culture. Um, and, mm. and she was not a, really a Christian, but she believed in God. And so there wasn't that atheist hump to get over Good start. Um, either. Yeah. Good start. And, um, but that's why I exhort men to, you know, try to marry young, um, and find a woman young that, that, um, you can share life with. Um, it's not easy yeah. all the time and some men, you know, some men won't do it, but it's the, the, you know, the longer you go, um, the women in, in your in your peer group are going to be more and more affected by the culture generally, um, and, and yeah. it has and it has a deeper effect. I believe, I believe it has a deeper effect on women. Uh, there's more consequences for the woman as well. Yeah, um, it, men can have children in, into late years. My wife's father was 62 years old when she was born, and she, wow. she was his 15th child. And um, okay, well. <laughs> and, oh, and, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! And and yeah, um, actually no, sixteenth. He had a there was some twins and one of them died early. Um, so sixteen. Oh, wow. um, she was number sixteen for him. He was sixty two years old. Her grandfather, not her great great grandfather, not her great great grandfather. Her grandfather was born in eighteen fifty something, hmm. and or, or maybe eighteen. Uh, it might have been eighteen sixty something. And that's mind blowing. She's she is twenty five years old, and her grandfather was born in eighteen fifty something because he was also in his late fifties when he had her dad, and her dad was sixty two when Whoa. she was born. And in my point, and which is kind of like crazy, you actually hear about that. One of the presidents, I think it's a John Tyler's sons or something like that he has a grandson still living or something something crazy like that but it happens the 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 effect of bad culture bad theology it has less of an effect i'm not saying on on the soul right it you're you know you're damned if you're if you're outside of the gospel but it has a culturally and, and individually it has less of an impact on men because men can have children into their later years men can um, um bounce back from things like um you know a lot of sexual partners easier than a woman can. They don't pair bond the same way that a woman does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when a woman has all kinds of sexual partners and when a woman spends her 20s and her 30s doing all these things that she shouldn't be doing and then comes to Christ and, um, and wants to settle down, there are real consequences for that, real time. Yeah. And, and, and those consequences last. They last forever. Until until she will be redeemed, she will be, um, you know, in glory um, with her Christians, brothers and sisters and all these things. But you can't get those years back. And that's just a cold, yes. hard fact of reality. And we can't be, you know, we can't be afraid to say that. Women need to hear that. And yeah. I've gotten a lot of responses on those points. And a lot of women really appreciate, um, you know, what I say. And believe I, I started out only trying, I speak to men. Generally speaking, all my posts are, are addressed to men. And 60, mm-hmm. 65% of my followers are women. And that really mm-hmm. speaks um, volumes because there is, there is a 
dearth of masculinity out there. There's a dearth of men saying these things and and rebuking also sins that women's, women do. I mean, you know, obviously women don't always like to hear it, but some women are really thankful for hearing. Like they're, they're like, wow, I needed to hear this. I posted the other day, and you actually just mentioned this about um, feminism will die when we're not sending our girls to college. I posted a post, oh. I don't know, maybe a month ago now. Uh, no, a couple, <laughs> couple months ago now. Um, November 27th, uh, cruel, cruel fathers and scorned daughters, right? That's, that's what the post looks like. Mm, and I, think I, I think I shared it, that one. And I didn't think it was going to be a, a popular post at all. I thought I was like, Oh, I'm going to get pushback on this. Cause I was, I didn't hold anything back. Um, and I, I had so many women saying this was healing for me. They, they commented this, they're like, this, this spoke to me in ways that, that, you know, I didn't realize that there was this trauma or I didn't realize that there was, you know, and generally I don't like that word trauma, <laughs> but I was getting, I'm, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm not talking one or two. I'm talking like dozens of women either messaged yeah. me or commented that that post was healing for them. And all I said in that post was that I said, fathers, we need to get out of the modern boomer mindset of sending our daughters off to fend for themselves as soon as they turn 18. If you're not giving Amen. your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. If you've not given your daughter into the care and provision of a husband, then she is still part of your household and under your authority. This is basic biblical mm -hmm. teaching. Um, not modern teaching, but biblical teaching. Um, never before in Christendom have unwed daughters been expected to go out into the male-dominated world and fend for themselves other than in broken and fatherless homes. Uh, this practice is a core tenet of feminism that fathers have eaten up and it's done nothing but destroy because it's a really easy to abdicate duty by just sending them off to a college and saying, I'm doing my part. This is what I'm supposed to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I said, and this is what I say next. It is a blatant dereliction of the biblical duty to provide for one's own household, which is defined as near kin that need help and those directly under your authority as a head of household. Um, here's the thing. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Also, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Those are both direct biblical quotes. I just uh, I just didn't put the quotation marks yeah. or the verse um, on purpose. Um, and then I said, I don't care um, about what modern sensibility tells us. I care about what is biblical and true. Modern morality is not moral at all, nor biblical, and mocks God and his righteous ways. We call good evil and evil good, for our hearts are deceitful about all things. Most Christian fathers scorn their daughters in at least two ways. We put no effort into finding godly, honorable, capable, and loving men to husband them. We kick them out. This is the second way. We kick them out into the workforce or pressure them to go to woke universities, both of which enslave them. Men, care for your daughters under your own roof, even into adulthood. Do not expect her to contribute to the household income. And I'm talking about, you know, monetarily, go get a job. Um, obviously, she'll contribute in other ways, right? But um, to the household income, pay rent via a nine to five, go to college, become a debt slave, build a name for herself, etc. She's not a son, and it's cruel to treat her as one. That's what I said. That was the whole post. Yep. That's what I said. Yep. And the, the yep. response to that oh was... Gosh. The response to that was far different than what it, the women actually responded to that um, in a very positive way and to the point where I was actually a little bit blown away by it because, um, you know, it's, it's very patriarchal. Nothing about that is, is easy for a modern feminist person to hear. And yet 
so many women that have obviously been steeped in feminism were responding to that. This is healing for, for me to hear. And that really kind of blew me away. I wasn't expecting that. That's so good. That's so, so good. I got so much that I want to say in response to that out of my own experience. But um, I think the, I want to, I want to pick on, to, pick, not pick on, but I want to, I want to run with two different pieces of what you just said. So uh, this is something that I've noticed is predominant primarily in boomer fathers. I'm glad you said it, is that boomers particularly were raised like nurtured in the belief that men were patriarchal and evil and oppressive, you know, like a whole generation of, of fathers come back from world war two, absolutely like damaged and, and, uh, body and, and, in spirit and, in, and in soul and in heart, if not in body. And yeah, they're a little, they're a little stiff. They're a little wound up. Right. And so, you know, their fathers might not have been amazing fathers, but they survived war. But boomers grew up in this spoiled environment where it's like, I hate my dad. He was mean. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, maybe you can forgive him. And so they learned from that. And then the propaganda of the 1960s said that men have ruined the world, environmentalism, feminism, the sexual revolution. And so the men of that generation grew up with this idea that I can't pass along any values to my daughter, especially otherwise I'm being oppressive. So they abdicated. I got, sorry, sorry, son. Sorry, daughter. I got nothing to teach you. Stay out of debt, go to college, get a good job. That's all I can. That's all I can say. You know what I mean? And, and it ends up with kids kind of ending up exactly doing what you said, fending for themselves, right? You have boys launched into the world who don't know who they are because they never had a father, like actually actively begin to mold them and give them values. And then the fathers took that, that they would have given to their sons and they instead gave it to their daughters and made their daughters into sons. And congratulations, we have exactly the situation that we have right now. So daughters get launched into the world you know, being sons and in a, in a world that prioritizes the female experience and let laughs at men. And so now you have this upside down situation where you actually have measurable data that says generationally women have been more successful than men. And so they're looking for husbands to marry and women have taken up all the professional jobs and men have floundered and it's completely all messed up. Well, why? Because what you just articulated in that post, it's, it's exactly true. And we're mm -hmm. all kind of, we're all kind of living it. You know, you have women that yeah. have been finding their way. Like, you, you know, I was thinking about stay. I was out for a walk and it's completely summed up in the movie, in the Harry Potter movies, right? You have Harry Potter, the hero of the story, fatherless, parentless, adopted, abused, doesn't know who he is, is truly gifted. And is a real, is a real, uh, you're a wizard, Harry, right? But like, he doesn't know who he is. And compare him with Hermione Granger, who shows up and is immediately on the button and knows who she is and is the, really the agent who drives the entire plot forward. Not that I want, not that I want to do the lift, leftist thing of compare all reality to Harry Potter, but you kind of see that dynamic all around us right now, right? And so, and so, as you're trying to re, you know, as you're trying to de-invert society, you're having to encourage the Harry Potter guys sort of to, to step into what it actually means to be a man right? Where you have these bullying older brothers around them rather than fathers. And then you have to get Hermione Granger to stop running the show, <laughs> right? And, and it's, I don't know how well, I don't know how well it's working, but I'm grateful that the women are, are reading the post and responding to it. And the only thing that I want to say in response to that is to pull off of the, the same idea that I said earlier, we have to get out of social media bubble world. It's all well and good to like and share posts on social media, fantastic. Amen. Praise God and do that. But I really encourage women to spend a lot of time 
on their own, thinking through how you will respond the first time a man says no to something that you want. The first time he really says, no, that will not be good for you. That will not be good for our family. That will not be good for our children. A hard no. A man that you're dating, that he says that's not acceptable. Not that he's telling you not to do it, right? That you are forbidden from doing it because he's not your husband. But he's. But the first time a man puts up a hard boundary, how will you respond? Because I think that it's really good. And, and I, I think it's wonderful that women think through these things, you know, and they read the posts and they enjoy them. But how will you respond, boots on the ground, the first time your boyfriend, your fiance, or your husband delivers that first hard no to something you really want? Will you, who will break, you or him? It probably shouldn't be him. And that's the thing that I've experienced is that, really, that's the thing that I've experienced is that there's a lot of big talk from women who say, I'm looking for a biblical marriage. I want a husband to submit to. Cool. Fantastic. Amen. Praise God. But you still have to be willing and able to hear the word no and accept that and, and love a man enough that he, find a man. Uh, I'm going to tweet about this. I wrote it earlier. Find a man who loves you enough to say no and respect him enough to listen. And you have to do both. And I'm, I, while I'm grateful for the discipleship of, of many people's content, what I find is taking from the realm of theory into practice, that hasn't been bridged yet, primarily because women don't have other women around them in their everyday life backing this up. Like you can read, you can read Lori Alexander or, you know, Rachel Wilson or all these wonderful female content creators that women, you know, or feminine, not feminist, Bernadine, dear sister, n- name them. They're all, they're all huge fans of all of them. It's definitely one thing to be taking in the content. It's something else entirely when you, in, in their everyday lives, women have other feminist women surrounding them, mothers, sisters, friends, right? Who won't support them if they say, I would really like to submit to a husband, right? Everything in culture, everything in their real world, when they turn off the phone, tells them, put yourself first. And so it's, re- it's really incumbent, I think, on women to, if they say that they're looking for this, to begin taking things past the point of, okay, let me think through what will happen when my husband says no. Will I turn him into the villain? Will I rebel against everything that I said? Or will I take it and, and be able to hear that no and be grateful for it? And be, be grateful to know that like, I love my husband, I trust him, I respect him, and I hear him saying no for my benefit for reasons I can't see. And if we get there, amen, praise God, hallelujah. So that's, that's what I have to say in response that we, and this, this, I give the same, I give the same advice to men. I give the same, it's very, very cool to be reading, you know, masculine Christian content on your phone. Absolutely. I think you should be doing that. But if you're not taking that content and you're not turning it around in your life to being like, okay, how can I become a man of gravitas, meaning of gravity that holds people or that holds my household in, in, in its orbit, in my orbit? meaning my work is locked down. I'm physically fit and healthy. I'm in the word every day. I'm a spiritual leader. If you're reading content online and not actively cultivating or finding sources of cultivation to make a difference in your life every single day, if you're not doing that, you have to take the theory into practice. And this is the thing that both men and women have to do in different ways. Amen. That was a sermon right there. That was good. (laughs) 
Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. There was, I try there to was be a, equal. A, I try to say the same thing to men and women. I try yeah. to say the same thing. This is not like all the problems are on women's end or all the problems are on women's end or all the problems are on men's end. We both have our own sets of problems. And so like equal weights and measures, but we have to, we, we both have to be tackling them actively. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's something that, um, you know, I, I tell men as well. The biggest thing is um, I, I see, I see two different things, generally speaking, and, and the people come to me with more often than not, I see, and maybe it's just the world I'm in, the social sphere I'm in, you know, uh, yeah, patriarchal, masculine, reformed, you know, Christian, pretty niche, right? Um, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see niche. so, I see so many women that are, ask me, how do I get my husband to lead the house spiritually? There's so many men that are just yes. completely dropping the ball there. And, and they don't know what to do because they, they don't want to lead the house. They understand intellectually, they assent to, I'm not supposed to be the leader. I'm not supposed to be the spiritual leader. But they are also the ones that are interested in the spiritual stuff, in the theology, in these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I have to tread a fine line because I don't want st- to step on her husband's authority. I'm not her husband. I'm not her yeah. head. And so I have to, I have to, you know, I've, I've really kind of toned back some of my responses. Like I, you know, I'll, I don't get in nearly as many um, like debates with women online. I'm just like, if you don't like what I said, take it up with your husband. You know, that's my default <laughs> response now. <laughs> That'll make um, it better. And, yeah. That's, that's what I say now. I mean, I really, I'm, I don't, I have a pretty firm policy at this point to not argue with women online, especially in not yes. women that have that, especially not women that have husbands. It's never been fruitful, generally speaking. I've almost never, no. almost never have I gotten into a debate on my post with a woman. And then maybe it's gone to DMs or something like that. And she said, oh yeah, you know what? That, that makes a lot of sense. I see, I see your point of view. It generally turns into like this like weird thing where they hate follow you and they just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, yeah. and so I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I've, I've seen the futility in, in that. I used to debate people a lot more. I used to be a lot more patient. I have two little girls now, one, two, and one, eight months old. Mm. And my time is- so it's personal is, almost. My time is for them and for my wife. And I've gotten yeah. to the point where I have to be a lot more guarded with my time. Um, but I, I say all that to say that there's, there's really two things going on that I see. Women- that are at a total loss on how to get their husbands to lead their household spiritually. And there's only so much I can say. There's only so much I can input. Like I, like there's this, um, you know, I have a couple of them, but there's one woman that almost asked me the same question like three different times over the course of like a year. And it's, it's my husband is so stubborn. He, he doesn't think he needs any, you know, male friends. He doesn't want to, you know, go to church. He says he's a Christian, this and that. What do I do? And I'm like, there's only so much. She probably messaged me too. (laughs) there's 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 only (laughs) so much i can say i mean what more can i say um and it's one of those things where again i don't want to step on his authority but um you know you it's really important for men basically my default response in that in that scenario is you you got to try with your feminine sensibilities and feminine persuasion to get him into a to get him to step foot into a good Bible believing patriarchal church. Patri- the patriarchal church is really important because the women in in the congregation of a patriarchal church are going to be generally a lot more supportive of a woman who's trying to learn how to be a um, a biblical wife to listen to her husband when he says something like no, right? When she goes to mm-hmm. ask her her friends at church, what do I do in this scenario? It's going to be and I'm not saying 100% of the time or whatever. It's going to be more likely 
that in a good, maybe reformed, patriarchal church, the women are going to say, like, you need to listen to your husband. He's the head of the household, this and that. Um, more and, likely, yes. Yeah, more likely. Not all not all the time. I'm just saying more likely. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I see is men that soak up. I, I have guys that have followed my content for three years now. And then they'll respond to every post and they'll still say, oh, where are, where are the, the women, this and that. And, and, and they're very like black pilled and stuff and stuff like that. And, and they, do, they, they understand every theological concept and they understand well, everything they have to friends. do. They've read everything that I, you know, I've said, not that I'm the, the be all end all, just, you know, they, they think I, what I say makes sense and this and that, and they never put it into action. And, um, and they're very, very passive. And the, the thing is, the hard thing to do, like you mentioned, is to actually say no to your wife. It's so much easier to yeah. avoid the argument. It's so much easier to avoid the argument. I've been married for four and a half going on five years. Um, I have two children. Um, we, when you've been, you know, whatever, working all day or you're dealing with the kids all day, I'm home a lot, right? So I have, um, I, I, you know, I, I work for myself. I kind of set my own schedule. I'm home a lot. So I'm around the kids mm -hmm. a lot. I'm, you know, I, I, it's a very taxing job, especially for the wife to be mm -hmm. around little kids all day long, screaming, fussing, things like that. And it's so much easier. Maybe she disrespects you in front of your, your kids and she's setting a bad example or this or that. It's so much easier to not address it and let it slide. And um, that mm -hmm. is just going to get you nowhere fast. Um, and because when you when you abdicate that, you know, I don't, I'm not saying have an argument in front of the kids, because I think I think Doug has a really, uh, he's talked about this before, he has a really good approach to this. Um, really practical, yeah. good child. I really like Doug for child re rearing stuff and for like, um, some marriage for like practical marriage stuff. He's really good on that on that material. Mm -hmm. but it is so much easier to say no. And you have to get to the point where you have the hard conversations. Maybe she's been disrespecting you in a certain yeah. spot, you know, all the time doing it a lot. Or, or when she, when she responds to you, she, she does it maybe just, you know, in a sarcastic way or, or this or that you need to sit down and have the hard discussion with her because it will pay dividends. Um, and you know, my wife is, my wife is great. Um, and she's only gotten better as things have gone on. Um, and she's gotten, um, more, um, I guess based, you would say, and in, in patriarchal, because she's mm. re responding. She's responding to the corrections and stuff that I make here, and I, you know, she gives me feedback too. Like I, I listen to what she says. Like there's many times mm -hmm. I have repented and apologized to her where I've been wrong. I'm not saying this. It, it can easily sound like it's a one way street where the, the the man is never wrong. That's clearly not what I'm saying. Um, but people will try yeah. to you know say that's what I'm saying. But that's what they'll hear. Um, there's, <laughs> but there's many there's many times where. I've had to correct something, have a serious discussion with her, and it is not the thing I want to do. Um, the farthest thing from that, and but it is it is paid dividends big time. I mean, you know, we're at a point now. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we're at a point now where I I really enjoy my wife. I uh, love her very much, um, and she's. It's been amazing to see. We recently got a house six um, six months ago. We bought a house. We were living mm, in a little apartment for. We were living in a little apartment for the entirety of our marriage for the last four years. And, um, and we just had our new baby and a few months later we signed on the house and we were able to move in last July. And it's been amazing to see how much she has flourished with, you know, me providing a, a, 
home for her, um, you know, that she can really have space. She's been baking bread. She's been doing all kinds of stuff, just doing all that crafting stuff. Like what you said, the industrial revolution has taken away. Like she made some, some wool mittens last night and on, on a whim. And she's teaching herself all these things because her mother didn't pass anything down to her. And she's doing all these things. And I'm like, praise the Lord. This is amazing to see. But I've given her that. I've tried very hard to give her that space and the ability in, in, in the stuff she needs to do those things and make this house a home and to cultivate these things. And a lot of that has has to do with um, correcting little things where they need to be corrected or or, mm-hmm. or this or that or when she, you know, um, when she maybe needs money to, to go buy something for a craft project or something like that, you know, just joyfully saying, yeah, absolutely, if, it, if it's there, right? Um, but there's... I'm, again, I'm rambling a little bit here because there's so much that flows from all these topics. But um, that is the big thing is is men either not wanting to say no to their wife and then you saying, well, what happens when your man says no? How are you going to respond? And then the other thing that I see mm-hmm. is the women at a complete loss because they are the default spiritual leader in their home and they almost can't help it because they're actually interested in biblical topics and their husband just shows no interest. And so those are the two really big things that are, I think, burdening a lot of uh, Christian marriages today. Because those are the two, far and away, the two most common um, situations I have to deal with or field or give advice on. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to kind of get maybe some of your your feedback on, on some of those things. Yeah, I, thank you for all that. Men, if you're pursuing physical fitness to any meaningful degree, you know one thing. You need a trainer. No matter whether you're starting out or leveling up, A trainer is the guy who can help you get there with personalized advice, not just a PDF and an occasional reply to your tweets. I know this firsthand because I have a trainer I work with in person every week. He's a good friend I've known for more than three years. We met back at the start of COVID in the same Telegram fitness group that ultimately led me to start the Renaissance of Men. Since then, he and I have walked a long road together, including going from being secular to becoming Christian, Now we live in the same city and even attend Apologia together, so we've got history. Today, following his own remarkable story of redemption, he's a husband, small business owner, and faithful brother in Christ who inspires me, and I couldn't be happier to officially recommend him to you today. His name is Sean O'Brien, and you can visit his outstanding new website at obrienfitnesslifestyle.com, linked in the show notes. And there you can find out more about him and what he does to help men and women get fit for God's kingdom. That includes online monthly coaching, in-person coaching, and custom gym builds for your home, business, or garage. I'll read you the exact words I wrote in my testimonial on Sean's site. Quote, I've been working out my whole life, but it wasn't until I met Sean that I started training, and that changed everything. I've made more progress with Sean in a year than I did on my own in the previous three years combined. Sean is patient, direct, and responsive. And most of all, he's a kingdom builder who believes that God's kingdom lives in the strong, healthy bodies of godly men and women. If we're going to win down here, that's where it begins. If you give him half a chance, Sean will help you win. He did for me. Hallelujah. And I mean it which is why Sean is also the head trainer for the Renaissance of Men and the guy I send my clients to. I keep telling men to stop lone wolfing it, thinking they can do it on their own, and that's especially true in fitness. So now, at the start of the year, sign up with Sean. You can visit obrienfitnesslifestyle.com to find out more. Again, 
visit O'BrienFitnessLifestyle.com, and that's O'Brien with an E, to find out more and get fit for God's kingdom today. And I'll see you under the barbell. And um, so I want to add, I want to add another layer of, of complexity onto it is that I, I've stopped taking at face value the things that um, women DM me about, about their marriages. Not because like I have no ability to validate. I have no idea what's actually going on in your home. I don't even know if you're a woman, <laughs> right? Like I got a long email from a woman telling me about her situation in the home. And, you know, I respond straight up, but I make sure to throw in there if the situation is as you describe, right? Because I don't actually know what's going on. Um, and what I would say in response is, is yes to all that. And there is also the dynamic of, of um, what I talked about with Dr. A. David Edgington, which is the abusive wife which is, and, and Alison Armstrong in her book, The Queen's Code, talks about this in her own way, um, but not from a Christian foundation. She calls it frog farming, which is, and that's how she opens the book, which is to talk about the ways that, uh, you know, in the, in, the, um, in the fairy tales, the woman kisses a frog and it turns into a prince. But what Alison Armstrong essentially says is what feminist women, she doesn't use this language, what feminist women do is they turn princes into frogs. And so like, okay, so you really want your husband to step up and lead. Are you willing to take it, take accountability for the ways that it's entirely possible that if he started out a charming, loving, friendly, kind man, and has become more withdrawn and pulled away over time, are you willing to take accountability for the fact that you might've had something to do with that? Yeah, and that's the big thing. Him. That's right. That's right. Why won't my husband step yeah. up? Why won't my husband step up? Well, was he like, why did you fall in love with him? Was he charming and dynamic? You know, did he, did he go out of his way to bring you flowers and to really be the man? And then you saw that slowly change over time. Once you went from, you know, engagement into marriage, like, and you saw him kind of withdraw and pull away and now he doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Might you have had something to do with that? Mm, And that's the part that, you know, and, and David Edgington talks about this from a Christian foundation in the book, The Abusive Wife, what that the reviling wife is what he calls it, the actual dynamic by which an, a, an unrepentant woman takes it out on her essentially nice guy husband because she's rebelling against God in her heart and she makes it her husband's problem. That's from a Christian perspective. That's at the really extreme end. And that's what David Edgington does is he counsels men and women back from that. And, you know, I speak with him often and he says that, you know, he has women storm out of his office all of the time where both the husband and the wife are there in the office together and the women storm out as soon as he starts saying like, you've been reviling your husband and, and, you know, this is a, you know, plank in your, your eye speck in his situation. And women get furious yeah. when he tries to hold yeah. them accountable for their behavior over time. And just to say, Alison Armstrong talks about this as well, because in the book, The Queen's Code, again, this is not a Christian book. It's not from a Christian foundation. But I, I recommend the book and I love the book because it talks about the language that women use towards men, the way that it either shows them honor and respect or it belittles and, and undercuts them. She calls it castrating them. And so yeah. like, so again, in the same theme for the, for the women who are listening, you know, it, again, it, it, in, the same, in the same idea that how will you respond the first time your fiance or boyfriend or husband says no to you? To really think that through, if you're really thinking about a biblical marriage, how will you respond when he corrects you because of something you just like dashed off in a second where you see his countenance towards you change and you know you've crossed the line and he has to take you aside and say, you know, in a, in a gentle and loving but firm way, you know, 
dwell with, dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands love your wives. All of that in the right way says, no, that's not okay. How will you respond? Will you double down yeah. or will you take accountability? And in the same way, are you willing to take accountability now for women that are in upside down marriages? Are you willing to take accountability for the fact that you played a role in this? If he started out one way and became another way, is it because he was always that way and he just kind of took his foot off the gas? Or were you constantly grabbing a hold of the wheel saying like, no, no, drive like this? You know, or were you constantly trying to steer the stick shift? Were you constantly belittling and cutting him down to the point where he's a weakened man? Because that's the position. If you want someone to lead, right? If you really want someone to lead in, in, in the process of reconciliation, I would, in many cases, like, yes, of course, there are weak and passive men out there. Absolutely, 100%, I agree with that. And the dynamic is also that you may have played a role and how deeply can you repent for that? And repent to your husband and say, I have belittled you, I have reviled you, I have abused you, and list through the ways that you've done it so that he knows specific instances that hit your conscience, right? And say like, yeah. I did this and I'm sorry, can you please forgive me? And like, you got to take that. And that may, be, that may be the key to a lot of this. Now, of course, that doesn't necessarily apply to every situation. Don't hear the generalizations in a specific way. If you're listening, I don't know who you are. I'm not speaking to you personally. However, that's, that's to take in the dynamic and to recognize... People don't understand generalizations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they, that's the biggest thing. That's one of the that's most right. common um, like debates or stuff, you know, things that I, I encounter um, is people literally cannot mm -hmm. comprehend generalized statements. They always have to make it about themselves or about their <laughs> yes. exact situation. They can never see the truth in a yes. general comment. And in us as people that um, put out content and put out, you know teach on these things and put out our thoughts on these things, we always have to speak in a general way. Uh, we don't know your situation, right. like like you mentioned. And so it's it's funny. I, I interrupted, so continue your your thought there. But I just wanted to make that comment. That's the biggest thing I see is people literally don't understand generalizations. That's a whole nother topic, but. Go ahead. That, that's right. No, it's, it's, and it's really frustrating. It's like, look, if you're listening to this and you're feeling, if, if someone's listening to this and they, you're feeling angry at something I'm saying, well, you don't know my situation. You're right. I don't, because I'm not talking to you. <laughs> like, I don't even know who you are. Right. But people, <laughs> but if you're feeling convicted in a, in a way that generates that response, maybe, and that's what always gets communicated. Whenever anybody, you know, says, well, you don't understand my situation universally what that says to me as a content creator who's quite outspoken on Instagram and on Twitter, like universally what that says to me is something I've said la has landed with you and you don't like it. Like that's, yeah. you've just, you've just outed yourself. You know what I mean? But my, my hope is that people can work through that and be like, okay, he's not speaking to me. How can I actually take in some of the things and not just me, not just, not just my handsome brother will here, you know, cause we're two handsome wills on the conversation. So like not, how can we take this in and how can we integrate it without having to respond and react to it in a, and really just like hear what people are saying without having to, without having to push back instantly, which is like, that seems to be the, the norm rather than, um, rather than the exception on social media. And it, it really gets in the way of a lot of other people who I think would want to hear these things. And I think it prevents people from having the opportunity to, uh, to really step past their own limitations and pa step past their own reactions. And that's the part that gets frustrating is like, I'm putting this out there at, at, you know, not in a sense to feel sorry for me, but like, it's a risk to put these things out there and we do them. Like we risk relationships, we risk businesses, we risk all these different things. And so we put it out there to say like, Hey, this is an offering 
take of it what you will. And the immediate visceral reaction that happens is almost, is almost like, Hey, you're missing something in your own life that I wish you could hear. And that maybe if you could set it aside and listen for just a second, set aside the response and listen for just a second, you might find something that's healing because I'm not putting this out there to hurt you. Like uh, that's not the intention. Like we're not, yeah. we're not trying to harm anyone. You know, we're, we're trying to offer healing to men, women, and families. Again, not from our own standard. This is not my personal standard. This is what the Bible says. This is God's truth. God's truth is healing. And to reject the opportunity for healing um, is to stay ill. And I guess some people really just prefer that. Yeah, that's a lot to touch on there. Um, you made some really good points. Um, one of the things, I'll just say it, it kind of is has to do with some of the stuff that you just said. Um, so it's right on the tip of my tongue. Mm. Is I've kind of been transitioning a little bit in some of the posts that I make to purposely just, and I mentioned this earlier, purposely just quoting scripture and um, like it's, and just not attributing it per se, just literally like quoting it exactly as it is and just putting it out there for Christians to, to react to. Um, and so I did that for Ooh. a couple posts and you can actually see people that have a visceral reaction to exactly what the Bible says. I'm not translating it for you. I'm not interpreting it for you. <laughs> I'm just literally yeah. putting it there, you know, just in a post. I had a couple posts where I did that and it was, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting to see some of the, some of the reaction to it because um, people would be fighting against scripture, um, just, just the Bible, you know, Christians and conservative Christians and, mm -hmm. and you know, generally, uh, generally women and, you know, obviously men do it too. And, um, the other thing I wanted to say was the Bible talks about exactly what you what you said. This um this uh, mm -hmm. what is it? Frog farm? Did you say frog farming? What was it? Yeah, Alison Armstrong calls it frog farming in her book The Queen's Code. Yeah, yeah. So this the Bible talks about this. It says it's better to live on a rooftop than with a contentious wife. Okay, and right. and that is true. Some of the things that I've you know encountered is there are just contentious women out there. Um, and and, yes. and the, the modern evangelical coddling of the, femi the feminine uh, sins is so prevalent that, that a lot of women, especially women that have been in the church or, or whatever, have literally never interacted with someone um, outing their sins. And it's so, it's, it's always, yep. you know, the man's, the man's fault. And this is what I really appreciate about um, one of the things. I appreciate a lot of things. One of the things I really appreciate about guys like um, the Ogden boys, uh, guys like Brian and and Eric, is they are they have unashamed or unabashedly pointed out female sins, and they get massive pushback from yeah. online. And they're yeah. some of the only people that are they're some of the only people that I have really seen in the space that uh, kind of do it on a more consistent basis. And it's it's so true that um, you know there is so much belittling of the husband that happens in marriages and there, or there's so much, you know, busybody gossip and stuff like that, that women engage in. And they've literally never been told that this is a sinful thing to do. They've, they've never even, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't even occur to them that they are sinning. They have no idea. They've been coddled mm -hmm. so much that, um, and then me, you know, um, me and, you know, my wife, let's say there's been, there was, a, I can think of a recent example. I won't really go into it because I don't want to, I don't want to, if just in case the person's right. listening or whatever, I don't, but there was a, there was a, I'll kind of give some rough details. There was an example where, um, we were at, you know, we were at an event, um, and there was something that was said to, you know, these are all reformed Christian people. And there was something that was said 
to a, the group of people, women and men in general, from a woman, from a wife. And her husband was right there. And it was about her husband. And um, it was oversharing, Oof. to say the least. And I didn't hear it. But my wife, Amy, told me about it afterwards that she was like, she couldn't believe what was just said. And, and she told me. And um, I was like, wow, it's a good thing I didn't hear that because I, I might have said something because <laughs> um, I couldn't I couldn't fathom mm. the amount of disrespect. It was so disrespectful and no one really seemed to notice or call to her out on it, you know, and I, and I was like, I can't imagine how that husband feels from what it was. It was really bad. Let's just put it this way. Yeah. It was really bad, but it was almost like it, the reactions to it were not as if it was really bad. But I couldn't imagine if my wife said that to a bunch of people when I was there. And, you know, the husband obviously felt it, but the wife probably had no idea that she was, what she just said was bad. And and the husband probably never called her out on it for later. They don't seem like they strike me as having that sort of relationship. Um, And this this happens all the time. This sort of, and it was definitely a Mm. castration moment. Let's just put it that way. And mm-hmm. I would have, yep. I would have cringed so bad if I heard it. And I think I probably would have said something. I'm a pretty outspoken guy. Um, I probably would have made the yep. situation really awkward for everyone involved. So it's probably better that I didn't hear it. Um, I was in a different room, but it was, uh, you know, stuff like that happens all the time in, in Christian circles. And so it's really important that, you know, women that you, like you said, we treat things equally here that we call out female sins as much as male sins as well. Um, but yeah, that's an example. I really like how the how the Ogden boys uh, go about doing that because they really are unashamed about calling out these things. And it needs to be said because these women need to hear that some of the things they do on a regular daily basis is blatant sin and disrespect and disregard for their husband, their head. Um, and and you see you see in the Bible, like I've talked about this before. I think Eric has also talked about it, Eric Kahn. Uh, I think Lori has also made a post about it. You know, we've posted about it different times is like, there was a phenomenon, and you might have seen the post, but about, you know, in, in in the past, it was not abnormal to call your husband Lord. That's how you addressed your husband, is you called That's him right. Lord or Master or or whatever, Liege or whatever. Certainly, sir, our modern, our mo- <laughs> Lord sounds weird. Lord sounds weird to modern ears. I made a post about it. I'm like, hey, call your husband, try calling your husband Lord. I bet it, I bet he'd like it. And, and if you guys think that's weird, Love then it. you, sir, then you, sir, if you think it's weird. Right. And like maybe around around people you use, sir, or and, and at home, whatever, whatever respectful term, mm-hmm. because when you start speaking to your husband that way purposely, it'll be weird and awkward at first. But when you start saying, yes, sir, or, or you know, whatever, whatever term you decide to use, whatever respectful term you decide to use, it will actually change the way you think about your husband. Um, because yep. you, your lips are confessing something. It's It's almost like. When you pay your husband that respect, not only will it change his confidence in the way that he reacts to you, and it'll, it'll you're you're not only are you not castrating him, you're you're emboldening him, um, but it'll change the way you feel about him once you get over the hump of maybe this being kind of weird and awkward and you know it's so informal this and that like sixty years ago or whatever, <laughs> you know we, we think about you think about Tolkien right? I was talking about this with my wife. Tolkien, mm-hmm. everyone is called like Master Baggins. Listen, these these respectful terms that are like mm. so weird and foreign for us, you know, just just not long ago, this yeah. was a normal term we used, or or my lord, you know, 
Uh, yes, my lord. This, you know, things like that. It's so foreign to modern ears, and I don't. I'm not saying you have to use these terms, but like I said, our modern version would be sir. But even that is is hard for a lot of women to swallow, calling their husband sir. And they're like, well, you know. But if you're in the military, you have to say, you know, there's all kinds of women in the military that are calling another man sir, yes sir, this and that, and or or whatever it is. But they won't call their husband that. I think that that is, um, it's it's a tragedy. You know, and, and the men will respond positively to that. If you purposely go out of your way mm-hmm. to respect, and, and the Bible says not just respect, it says reverence your husband. You obey, yeah. you know, in, in, you obey him in everything, not some things, not, you know, only the things you want, everything, and reverence him. Yeah. Reverence has an element of fear to it. You're, you, were to, you are to fear your husband in a sense, in, 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 in a respect, just as we are to fear God. Um, and... and and that is healthy. It's, I'm not talking about, you know, some sort of abusive fear. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you are to respect him as your head, as your authority here on earth. He is your earthly Lord, just as Christ is the Lord of both of you and your husband. Your husband, he reports directly to Christ, right, for his household and how he manages it. That's Christ, right. the head of Christ is God, okay? This is, you know, you'll see this, especially if you study the head covering thing. It's in all through First Corinthians. Um, and once you kind of understand some of these, especially women, I think it's really important. And that's why, I don't mean to pull it back to the head covering thing, but that's why these, these symbols of like head covering, these are these these do a lot. Not only I think are they uh, theological, and that's why one of the first things the feminism did away with was head coverings on purpose, but it actually, it's, mm. it's a respectful thing. You're respecting your head. That's not the only purpose for it. I'm not saying that that's the only reason why they're there. There's other, like the glory of God to be on display, not the glory of man, which is the woman. So there's all kinds of theological things to go on there. But you'll notice that um, as, as feminist egalitarian culture progressed, that was one of the first things they attacked. It's an outward symbol. We are not Gnostics. Yep. We, do, we do not believe that only that, that, um, that the material world does not matter. The way that we position our bodies, the way that we wear things, the way that we talk to our husbands, the way that the symbols, they all say something. It's all part of, you know, some say that, um, I think it's, what is it? Cultures, re- religion internalized, or something like that, or or um, externalized, culture externalized, is that externalized. Yeah. Yes, and so yeah. this is all part of it because you know it's when you when you act out your religion and your beliefs, you can see that on the person, and so I think that there is a, a lot more there. I could go on about that for hours, and that's a totally separate discussion. But my point is simply that there are these symbols that we have discarded. There are these ways of speaking that we have discarded that has just been blown away with the wind. And we think it's weird. And there was a purpose for it. It's that old adage about um, don't remove a gate or a fence or whatever if you don't know why it was there in the first place. And I, I think that mm-hmm. is exactly what, what I'm trying to say here. Um, so anyway. No, I, I, I agree with all of that. And I, in fact, the entire thrust of the liberal project since the Enlightenment and accelerating since the Industrial Revolution and then especially since the 1950s, not the 60s, the 50s, and even the 20s, has been to tear down every possible fence so that people forget that there ever was a fence and then literally to murder all the men in wars who remember yeah. there being fences. Like that's a big, yeah. that's all, a big part all the of good that's brave, out. All the good brave men die, die in the wars. And so, and, and so I do have a, a certain right. sympathy for, I do have a certain sympathy for, for women when they say that um, they can't find a good godly man or, or this or that is because there truly is, generally speaking, historically, there is a dearth of good, brave, 
um, you know, alpha, so to speak, and especially godly men, because yeah. a lot of them, you know, you have you have men are men are inherently more risky. They do stupid things sometimes, and they die in wars. And so throughout history, often. yeah, yeah, often, often, um, and and throughout history, so there has there has always been a an imbalance there, where there is there is generally speaking more mm-hmm. women available um, than there are good providing godly men, because the the men. Um, the men are off in wars or they're dying from whatever diseases or, or they're doing risky things. And, you know, um, and so I do have a certain sympathy. I don't know how much that applies right to this day, other than the fact that there's a lot of, there's a lot of men that are just really passive now. And so there's a dearth in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, but it's just kind of like an unspoken war. So to say, you know, the, the war on masculinity. Um, yeah. but anyway, I wanted to throw that in there. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's, you know, that I do have a sympathy no, no. in that regard. I agree. I agree. Um, I, um, in the same way that women have uh, challenges with the discipleship in their everyday life, if they if they want to actually become the kind of woman who wears a head covering, who chooses to, I mean, for the vast majority of women around them in their lives, again, unless they grew up in Christian families, we're talking about mothers, sisters, friends, coworkers, right? The media that they consume is all telling them the exact opposite. And so when a woman decides like that she wants to be this kind of godly wife, even down to the level of like calling her husband sir or lord and wearing a head covering, even even like not even as a as like a a practice that they advocate for, but just to try it. The immediate force feedback that she will probably get from women that have loved her her whole life will be violence. Like not physical violence, you know, like they're not yeah. reaching for the pans or the knives, but it's like how could you do that? How dare you? You're betraying the sisterhood. On yeah. the men have their own the men have their own version of that, but it's it's a little bit backwards. Where like if you're a man who starts trying to step up in terms of like I want to get in shape, I want to improve my financial position, I can't come hang out with the boys every no- on Friday nights at the bar anymore because I don't want to wake up early and go to the gym or whatever it is. Men will actually find that they get that kind of crab pot mentality of their of, of the brothers around them friends co-workers and potentially even even fathers who rather than supporting them and saying that's a great thing you know will will slowly try to like undercut them and the women will as well the women will like when a man starts to step forward and be more confident and be more outspoken he will notice that all the women in his environment will orient towards him like a magnet and try and cut him down sometimes with a smile on their face Oh, honey, you can have just one more, right? That's that kind of attitude is is very dangerous. Mothers will do that. Mothers will do that. Girlfriends and wives will yeah, do that, a, right? Like because they understand that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 poisonous. It's poisonous. And so men also get their own uh, get their own force force feedback, and it requires real determination to punch through that. Right. And, and there's no other way around it. Like you have yeah. to decide that if you're going to follow God. And I think I fall, I file this under like, I come not to bring peace, but a sword, you know, if he does not hate his mother, father, brother, sisters, and, and follow me. Right. That's really what, that's really what that's about is you have to be so convicted in your heart, man or woman, that you are going to follow God's law and what he wrote in his book. And you're going to, you're willing to let go of everybody. doesn't matter. Yeah. This is the way that I'm going God gave me the gift of eternal life um, and nothing, nothing else matters. And, and that's what it takes. That's literally what it takes. And so people will reach out to me today. The question that I get 
most often is how do I find a godly husband or, or, or a wife? And I'm like, well, um, assuming, assuming that, um, you have all the, all the right things in order, meaning like, you know, your financial situation or your fitness, all the different things that make people attractive to each other. Right. If there's no one in your environment, you have to move. I'm really sorry to tell you, like, I know that everyone's super fired up about online dating. I am not a fan. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of online dating. Like I think it's supplemental. I think a lot of people use it as a replacement for real life dating. When in fact, like at best online dating is supplemental. So if you want, if you are a good and godly man or woman, I say this to men and women all the time. If you are a godly man and you live in a podunk town and you can't, where do I find women? Not in your podunk town, <laughs> go to where the women are. And in the same way to women, it's like, I've, there are no men in my everyday environment. I live in the small town with my family. Like, I'm sorry. Like you might have to get up and move to Ogden, Utah or Moscow, yeah. Idaho or battleground, right. Washington. Like what's it worth to you? What's it worth yeah. to you to follow Christ? Right. Exactly. So, or yeah, like Phoenix need... is a, is a, is a, go ahead. I was just going to say that's, that's my go-to response too. I get that question all the time. And I always start off with saying, this is going to sound cliche. Um, you need, you're probably going to find the man that you're looking for in a good patriarchal church in a good reform, right. you know, patriarchal church. That's, you know, or you're going to find the woman that you're looking for, go there. You know, let's say you're a young man, right? And maybe you're in your mid twenties or whatever, go there and, and find, you know, a family that loves God and the husband and, and, you know, the dad or whatever has some daughters and maybe one is, is, you know, 18 or 19, she doesn't want to go to college and ask him for permission to, to court her and, you know, respect his authority yeah. over her. And I mean, I have a friend that literally just did this. And um, I mean, two months ago, and I think he already proposed and, and he asked the father, you know, he was, he was looking for a wife. Um, and um, he went to a couple different churches and wasn't having much success, I think. And then he, he went to another one and, and talked to her dad and it was like, Hey, can I date your daughter? and um gave him permission and, and then they started talking and hanging out within like a month he decided to propose to her and i think they're getting married pretty soon yeah um i mean this happened pretty fast i mean this was in the last Amazing. couple of months um and so it you know it works and he basically said the same thing you said he was like yeah i mean this is like this is what you need to advocate for is just a real in-person going and going to a church and find that's where these people are the people that you know yeah. you're looking for they're at church that's where they are um, you know, so, um, and yeah. and yeah, maybe, you know, you see some, some of these trends like, oh, you know, go to Home Depot to shop for a man, that kind of thing. And it's, yeah, you might find a man there, but <laughs> is he going to be the guy that's going to spiritually lead your family? Well, maybe not. He might be a great provider, right. you know, maybe, maybe you do get lucky and you find a good Christian man that is a contractor and a carpenter and, you know, he goes to Home Depot, but, um, I would just go to rate, go to the most important thing which is the spiritual aspect in terms of, you know, having your values aligned and all these things and go to a church that aligns with those things. And that's probably where, maybe you have to try a couple different ones. Uh, that's probably where you're going to find your, your future spouse. Right. Yes. And, and, and to add on to that, you know, one of the things that gets so lost in online dating is like any notion of the, of the real and the human because when you try to play the online dating game, you will be judged as a man or woman based on essentially numbers. Like, you know, your, your level of fitness, if you're a, if you're a man, and then like your, your displays of wealth, right? Your, par- your character, your personality, your vibe, your smile, your laugh, 
the way that, you know, the, the way that, uh, you take up space in a room, none of that stuff gets communicated through photos on a profile and none of it gets communicated through text either. Same way with a woman, you're probably going to be competing with girls that are younger than you, right? And girls that are fitter, right? So, but your, your charm, your grace, your smile, the way, the way that you move, none of that gets communicated in an online dating profile. So you cut off like 90% of the human being when for, again, for all of recorded history, people met and fell in love because they could feel what it was like to be next to each other. You know, like the classic yeah. story I tell, like our grandparents got married in the, in whenever it was, say that, say the the thirties or the forties or whatever, like, Oh, and the story is always the same. I was walking down the street and then she sneezed and I fell in love and we got married a week later. Like that's how that works. Right. It's not yeah. anything magical in the sneeze. It was that they were physically around each other and they could just feel that click. And, uh, you know, I don't think that people feel that click through online dating. And I don't believe in long distance relationships, right? Like, I, I don't think mm. that that's a real relationship. I think if, unless you have an active plan to resolve going from a long distance, like an active timeline, I think it's yeah. a, it's a placeholder for you could actually be going out to meet somebody in person. But I think a lot of people are pouring their effort and then pouring their energy into online dating and wondering why they're not succeeding. It's like, because that's not how people are meant to meet and how they're meant to court. You go to part, you're supposed to go be in a church, be in a community with a man or a woman, and you spend a bunch of time around each other. You watch them at church or they watch them at, you know, church parties or, or at gatherings or small group or something like that. And you get to see who they are in moments when they're not looking. And that's, that's where so much connection and attraction is formed and cultivated and it's just completely left out. And so, yeah, be prepared if you really want a godly husband or wife you know, man or woman, be prepared that you might have to leave it all behind to follow Christ. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't make the rules. I just work here. You know what I mean? And this applies to me too. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not left out of this. Yeah. Yeah. You're preaching to yourself on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And especially for I women. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Especially for women. I mean, they need to be willing to uproot and move. If they find a man that they think, all right, this is a provider. He wants, he shares values. He He's, he's interested in me and you need to be willing to, um, you know, maybe you're a career woman or whatever. Um, you need to be willing. If you say you want this kind of man, you need to be willing to move to him. Or, in you, you know, that's, you just have to be willing to do that because there's, um, you know, and, and I've talked to some women that are absolutely, they're like, yeah, I'll relocate. And there's other women that are like, well, preferably in my area. It's like, well, you might not find some in Los Angeles. So that's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, I was in, I'm in a, I was in a, I was in a, a Facebook group called Reformed Matchmakers. You know, you have to apply to be in it and you have to fill out a questionnaire, what you, what you believe. So it's full of like, quote unquote, reform people. And like, I come into this group and it's like, you have people advocating the group like, well, maybe he can move to her. And I got in this huge argument with this dude, like within days of coming into the group, classic me, where it's like, let me, let me paint for you this situation where you're telling this guy to move to, because her, because this woman's father won't let her leave. What you're doing is you're taking this man out of his environment where like the young man out of his own comfortable environment where he's going to go and he's actually going to end up being under the headship of his wife's father, right? And his wife's father will leverage their relationship against him, right? So you're inverting the relationship from the start. Like she that's has like to a, move, like, leave like and That's like Jacob and Laban, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's the whole, it's... And oh my gosh, people got so mad at me. I'm like, I thought this was a reformed matchmakers group. Like, I don't know, maybe I, yeah. I, I, that led me to want to write a tweet that like reformed is about as meaningful a label in many cases as organic is now <laughs> when yeah. I haven't posted that yet. <laughs>
Yeah, no, I, I, that's a, you know, it's a big topic. I, I fully agree. Something else I wanted to touch on, um, I was thinking about it a little bit ago. It kind of had to go when we were talking about Gravitas and this and that was a good book oh, yeah. recommendation. A good book recommendation is, and I'm, you probably already read it. I think you may have mentioned him earlier, uh, is Chris Wiley's mm. Man of the House. That's a, that's a great book. And oh, it'll yeah, start get you, it, yeah. it'll start get you, I, um, two, I think it was two summers ago I was doing, uh, we had, at, at the where I work with my dad, uh, we pretty big lawn, and I was I was mowing a lot. And when I am doing outdoor activities, I really like to listen to either podcasts or audiobooks because I, I want to be you know being as productive mm-hmm. as possible. And I binged a bunch of Doug Wilson books that summer, and a bunch of the Kings mm. Hall podcast too. I think it was, and and mm-hmm. I listened to that book in particular. Uh, I listened to uh, Chris Wiley's both of his books, but the Man of the House I actually thought was the better book. And I think that is uh, it's a it's a fantastic book for young men because it really gets you thinking in that kind of pre-enlightenment um patriarchal mindset of of building a household and a legacy to pass on and um i this it goes back to what we were talking earlier so it's a bit off topic but i think that's a really good i wanted to mention it Fine. um um i think it's a great resource for for some guys to if you haven't read that book yet and you're a man looking to build a household go get it and and read it I had Chris Wiley on my podcast probably about two years ago talking about uh, the household and the war for the cosmos, which was like one of the formative books that I read. And and I discovered Man of the House after, but th- that one has continued has continued coming up. It's 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 a real good, from my understanding, is just a real good practical primer on like this is what it actually means to be the man of the house, right? Yeah. And it sounds really simple because we grow up with that phrase, but we don't we don't really live it. We don't actually believe it's a thing. Right. And yeah. So exactly. Go go ahead and talk about it more, please. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, he really gets into the idea of, uh, of, of, of of paterfamilias. I think it's paterfamilias. Um, you know, the, the father Mm -hmm. of the home and, and the patriarchy really breaks that down and and gives a really good kind of, it's kind of practical too. some of the stuff he, he advises in there. Um, and it's been like two years since I read it, so I don't want to do it at a service. Um, so I would just direct people there. But I do want to say that when you become a husband and a father, um, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking necessarily to you, but just when I say you, just sure. whoever's listening, who uh, who yeah. isn't one, there's there's going to be a lot of, um, and I don't have a ton of experience, but I do have two two little girls and um, and hopefully to have a bunch of, bunch of kids, you know, we'd love to have, you know, at least seven or more, who knows, um, and whatever the Lord blesses us Amen. with. Amen. Um, and... Yeah. And when you have a wife, you really need to, some of the, one of the most important tips I give guys when they ask, somebody just asked me the other day, he's like, I'm going to be a dad for the first time. What, what type of advice can you give me? And I told him, you have to be, make it a priority to be present with your children. And I think in that book, it talks about how if you bring the the household economy back to, I hope it's that book. I hope I'm not (laughs) thinking of a different, I've read a lot of books lately. So uh, if you bring the household economy back to, to a household scale, um, where you can be present with your children and you can, you can actually be there. Like I'm thankfully I'm, I have a situation right now where I, you know, I'm home the entire month of January, the store is closed mm-hmm. and, you know, and, um, and I generally I'm, I'm home like half of the week and then I'll, you know, leave for work the other half or whatever, but I'm get to spend a lot of time with my children and my wife. And that means direct discipleship mm-hmm. of both. I have, there's a lot more control in a good sense than I can exert and a lot more um, influence I can exert over my family and gravitas, so to speak. Um, 
And so one of the things I mentioned to the guy was be present with your children. It's very cliche, right? You hear that a lot, but it, it means like, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not perfect at this by any regard. I have to get better, but it means like, you know, putting your phone down for an intentional amount of time doing mm -hmm. family worship. Like that's one of the things that was a big thing for me. Um, latter half of last year and, and this year in particular, you know, new year's resolutions and stuff is to be more consistent with family worship. So like after dinner, we go into, um, either the living room or the playroom and I'll read a chapter of the Bible. And then I have the, um, uh, the Reformation Heritage Books uh, Family Worship Bible Guide. And mm. you, you just, you read the, it's really short. It's like a paragraph or whatever. You read their kind of synopsis of the chapter that kind of, you know, helps make sense of it and stuff. And you ask some questions. Literally something that simple to just carve out that time will do, will pay huge dividends. And you know, your wife will respect, respect you a lot more too. Um, and you're, you're catechizing your children in, in that way. And the other thing that I made a point of doing, um, and this is just what I do, so, sure. but it's something that has been an outgrowth of really trying to intentionally be more present with my children is one of the things that I do is I, whenever I put my, my girls uh, down for bed, one of them's eight months old. So I don't do this with her yet because, you know, she can't even understand me. But the other one is two and she's a really smart two. Like she's been speaking in full sentences since like 14 months old. She's super advanced. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, she can have a full, she's not even two and a half. She can have a full conversation with adults when she's not acting shy. Um, and, and that shyness is not a bad thing that that's, it, show, it, it shows me that I am doing my job as father, giving her all the masculine attention she needs because she doesn't, she has yep. no interest in, in being around other men, uh, you know, another, mm. and there's, there's some little girls out there that, you know, will jump up into anybody's lap and stuff. That usually is a signal mm. that they're not getting the attention from the father that they need. So wow. I'm, I'm glad that my daughter is scared of other men. And it's not because she has bad experiences with me. It's because her experiences are so good with me and she has such um, a good rapport with me that she doesn't need any other it's all her glass is already full and so that's one of my that's something that i like to see uh, shyness in a little girl is not a bad thing um mm -hmm. it, 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 generally speaking it's very good um so at least in that regard and, and in my experience that's a side point but the thing what i was trying to say was with her because she's so smart she's so intelligent she can understand so much. She has a great command of the English language already. I mean, it's it's really phenomenal. So people are just, they're blown away when they listen to her speak and stuff. We've been teaching her catechism questions and stuff like that. But every night before bed, when I put her down, because I don't put her down for bed every night. But when I do, I pray with her. And specifically, you know, one of the things I pray for is, you know, I, I pray blessings over her. And this is something I really like with like Brian uh, Sauvé. He does this. He made songs for his little girls. Have you listened to those? Mm -hmm. uh, I think so, which I've listened to a lot of his albums. I've probably. Yeah, there's uh, Daph a whole Daphne album or song. It... Uh, it, I don't remember. Oh, I think it's it on the maybe it's a, a hearth song Daphne or something song, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daphne song and, and yeah, uh, I love that Winnie album. song, I think. They're really good because. Independent of that, I, I was doing the same thing when um, he, he prayed, like, in the song, he prays, like, blessings over them. And in almost the exact wording that I do in my prayer to um, my little girl is, like, I, I pray that you would be the, the, the Lord would bless your womb and that you'd be the mother of 10,000. Mm. Your children would rise and call you blessed um, and, and that um, to a thousand generations and beyond, that kind of thing. I always pray that with her. And then right before bed, I, I do it again. I'll, you know, I'll put my hand on her head. And she started doing this totally independent. I, what I, I said, um, I put my hand on her head when I was tucking her in. And I said, um, may the Lord bless you and keep you and protect you. And then, mm -hmm. and I said, and then I said, and make you the mother of 10,000. So I just kind of said it again one night. And she responded to me and I didn't prompt it. She responded to me and said, 
and may your children rise and call you blessed. Amen. And so every night I've been doing that with her again. She's Horrible. she's two. She, she started doing this when she was maybe a little bit earlier than two. I've been doing this probably for six months with her now. Because I would say that in a prayer with her every night, when I said it after we were done praying and I had tucked her in, she responded back to me with the rest of that little blessing. And I thought it was so adorable mm-hmm. that I just I keep doing it. But that's just one example of really simple, practical, uh, you know, intentional fatherhood that is, I'm a young guy, so there's, I have a lot to learn. Um, and so I almost feel uncomfortable giving, you know, fatherly advice, I know, but I am a, I am a father at least. And, and, and so I, I am just saying what I do, right? This is just what I do. Take, take it and, or, or leave it. But I found that just something simple like that, I think could really, really impact, you know, especially daughters, but impact your children's lives. If you just pray with them every night before bed, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it's, it's the fundamentals, right? It's just get the fundamentals, mm-hmm. right? And I've really dropped the ball on family worship, and I've been trying to do that this year. This year is a big focus for me on that, and the latter half of last year is when I kind of started in. Um, But I've dropped the ball up until this point. Thankfully, my children aren't that old yet, so I still have a lot of time left with them to Mm -hmm. to catechize them and to do family worship. Um, But those are just some things that I think are are really helpful. Like, so that's what I told the guys, like, be present, you know, pray with them, do family worship, um, and those sort of things. And that's, there's my own personal example. Take it, you know, and run with it if you want, but... Mm-hmm. I heard Doug Wilson say in one of his talks that um, that love is commitment and presence, and I really liked that. I really like because you know the 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 biblical admonition is husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, and wives yeah. you know, reverence respect your husbands, right? Right. So I think um, in the in the sermon series, like he was talking about what is love. I think it's it's a two it's a two part series. I'll see if I can find it. Um, maybe it was grace agenda, something like that. And when he gave that definition of love as being commitment and presence, I was like, yes, because how do you break down love for a man? Like, what, what does it what does it mean for me to be loving? Like, give me practical, actionable, actionable, you know, language because the word love is so complex. But commitment and presence is like absolute, absolutely. That's something that any man, as soon as you say it to him, like. He, there's no square, like, well, what do you mean commitment? Like, what, what do you mean presence? Like, those are not the questions you should be asking. Yeah. <laughs> those are not good questions to ask. You know what those things are. And are you capable of giving them? Meaning like, are you truly committed? Are you truly committed to the people that you love? Or are you truly committed to your wife? Or do you have like, you know, obviously not you, you, but do you have like secret sins on the side? Pornography, you know, other kind of chat rooms kind of going on. Like, what's your Instagram, you know, feed look like? Stuff like that. But presence is a really hard one today for everybody because we have distractions. It's probably always been hard because there's always something else to think about. But if you're truly committed to your wife, excuse me, your fiance, your girlfriend, whatever, or anyone in front of you, and you're truly committed and you're really present with them, that's how, that's how love is felt. And that is, that's unforgettable. What was it that someone, someone said um, that people will not remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel when you said it. And and that's what commitment and presence does, is maybe your daughter won't remember the prayer for the 10,000s years from now, maybe she will, but she will remember that her father was committed and present with her. And that's what gives her that, that what, what uh, it sounds to me like endearing shyness. And we've lost that sense that that's a quality that women should have. Again, you have the Hermione Granger yeah. example, where it's just like, 
brassy and never in everybody's face and telling them what's what, et cetera. And like that's aspirational or sex in the city or captain Marvel or, you know, Ray Skywalker or whatever, you know what I mean? That's right. That's right. And it's like, and so in the face of that, and actually there's a, I think it's in the book, the disciplines of the godly man by Kent Hughes. I should pull it up, but it actually, it actually gave me something to think about where it said there was a, there was a time. And I think we're still in that time where um, it was considered fashionable to have a, a tomboyish daughter. Meaning if you were in certain elite circles, having a daughter who was shy, you know, probably a little bit more like what you read in like a Jane Austen novel, right? Love Jane Austen, by the way. Like yeah, what same. you would have in those novels, yeah, was was out of fashion. And what was in fashion in elite circles was having, you know, an outspoken, you know, uh, quote unquote bossy girl boss, you know, kind of daughter, and that shyness became like it was it was considered a, a mark of shame if you had a shy and kind of uh might call submissive daughter. And mm. we see the result we see the results of that. Like how do we reachieve that shyness? How do we reachieve that endearingness? And I was gonna write on 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 Twitter the other day about because someone wrote, someone posted, men will like men literally will think that a woman is being nice with them and that she's flirting or something along. Like a man will yeah, think yeah. that if just because a woman's <laughs> right. Okay. And I, I was, it was a feminist account and I, and I wrote a response that wasn't articulate as I wanted it, but deleted it. But the essence of it is like, she doesn't understand that for centuries, the only women that met most men ever interacted with were their wives, sisters, relatives, stuff like that right? Men weren't just walking around in the city square, talking to women behind the counter. They didn't encounter them in commercial or political life, right? We're designed Mm. as men to look for signals of interest. That's what we're made to do, particularly as as single men. And so when you take men, you, you liberate women out into the world with men's design to be looking for signals of interest. Yeah, we're constantly going to be looking for signals of interest, right? And so, and that's, it's not a consequence of men somehow being broken or wrong that they just don't understand how women communicate. It's like men and yeah. women are different and we're not supposed to be mixing to the degree that we are because it causes, guess what? All kinds of social problems. And what's the cost for that? Well, the feminists would say men have to become more like women. I would say the actual cost is women need to become more like women, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, um, that's good. And it gets into, you know, something that I've heard before, and I think it's true, um, is that, you know, one of the most important currencies out there, especially in like in human relation, especially, is is male attention, right? This is what, for yeah. instance, the porn industry runs on. I mean, billions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, you know, every everything is about grabbing male attention. And so when you as a father give your male attention, your masculine attention and presence freely and overflowingly, to your daughters and your praise to your sons and 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 you and you let your daughters know that they are beautiful and that they are mm-hmm. um, that they that you adore them women want they want to be adored they want to the, the, the Brian said this once and I and I I think I uh screenshotted it and made it into a post um was that the the feminine desire to be beautiful is a good and righteous desire and and Amen. what that and, and and we need to see that and say, yes, amen. And then as fathers and husbands, we need to foster that in our wives and in our in our daughters. And something I've said all along in my posts was do not withhold 
your your tongue and your praises lavish them upon upon your your wife and your daughters and, and sons yep. you need to treat differently right because sons are sons are not the same as daughters right so sons you don't withhold your praise from your sons either but you know let them know how proud you are of them right and let mm-hmm. your daughters know how much you adore them and how beautiful they are and and this is going to that attention the 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 father's attention the because we live in a patriarchal world this is the world god designed we can we can rage against it and no matter what as i think foster says it's it's it sure as gravity you know it's you know you cannot you cannot beat the patriarchy it's um you know mm-hmm. and so we have to understand that as christians and or you know and secular people too and mm-hmm. we need to go with the currency that god designed us to run on and that is you know in large part among human relations, it's the father's attention, presence, and approval. This is, you know, this is why you see, you know, father, um, you know, daddy issues among, among among girls. I mean, it's such a common trope and it's so true. It's like almost, you can nail it to a T. You can almost look at a woman and say that woman has a bad relationship with her father. And people, oh, yeah. well, that's so judgmental. And it's like, no, you, you can do it to a T. And, um, yeah. and maybe there's do some women that too. look really... Yeah, yeah, and maybe there's women that are really like look put together and stuff, and maybe you wouldn't assume that that'd be the case, but they have a terrible relationship with their father. I'm not saying that that I'm not saying it works for all cases, but where it works, it works well, and you can say, wow, yeah, that mm-hmm. she has daddy issues. It's a real thing, and that's because she was she was starved of the proper masculine fatherly approval that that we in because mm. again the the father is meant to image his heavenly father. I'm, I'm meant to represent mm. the heavenly father to my daughters. The, the, their first, and to my sons, but especially in this context to my daughters, their first understanding and, and impression of God in their life before they even understand the concept of God is going to be their father, right? That's how we, we image our heavenly father. And so fathers image their heavenly father in the same way to their children. And so we have a responsibility as fathers and as husbands to image the love of the father properly to our daughters and to our sons, because we are the first sounding board, so to speak, of how they, of their concept of God in their life will be, will largely be based upon how their father related that to them in the imaging of, of the father's love. So um, hopefully that wasn't confusing because I'm saying, I'm using the word father in two different senses there. Um, But it's so important. And so that's why I, I really love, um, what Brian said there about, you know, about the the desire for a woman to to feel beautiful is a proper feminine desire. The desire for a son to want to be told, good job, and, and to, to, you know, um, yeah. I'm, I'm so proud of you. These are fundamental aspects of human relationship. You know, this is the affirmation that a father, that can only come from a father. I'm not saying that mothers can never do these things and it doesn't, doesn't matter. It, it's, it's a different relationship with a mother. But you've seen the statistics, I'm sure. I've seen them. We all, it's just... You also, it makes sense based on how God made the world that a father, if he's a Christian, you'll, you'll probably instantly know what I'm referring to if you've seen it. Cause I've seen, I've shared it before and I've seen it run around, but the statistics are wild on, on the likelihood of a, of a child adopting the father's religion. You know, if a father mm-hmm. is a Christian, the likelihood, mm-hmm. if he's a Christian, the likelihood of the children being the same, it was like astronomically higher than if he wasn't. And, and, and right. even compared to the mother too, the mother, if the mother was a Christian, it's way lower of the chances of that continuing to the next generation than if the father was a Christian, because we are meant to run on 
this currency of, of masculine approval, masculine attention. The world runs on it and it's, it's twisted by sin. And, um, and so it's imp- that's so important. I'm really trying to be intentional with my daughters because I, I don't have any sons. So, you know, hopefully the Lord blessed me with some. Um, but right now I'm working with daughters and, um, and I'm trying to be really intentional about actually not just believing that, but then actually doing it in, in real time mm-hmm. with them. Um, so I tell them, you know, I love them all the time. I tell them how beautiful they are. Um, and even like, again, Hazel, my youngest, she, she, she can't understand me yet. She's eight months old, but it doesn't stop me from doing it. Sure and then Willow, can. you know, and, and Willow, you know, she, she understands me obviously very easily because she, she, again, she's a very good with, with linguistically very gifted and her new thing is so cute. Her new thing <laughs> is, um, and I'm oversharing here. You'll, if you, if you know me, I overshare Fine. a lot. I am, I'm an open I will, book. I will you tell anybody. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just, just between you and I, um, yeah, (laughs) yeah. um, I'm an open book. I mean, I, I, I usually do overshare. I probably should shut up a little bit, but, um, (laughs) Willow's new thing, my two-year-old, her new thing is, and she's been doing this like the last week. She would just out of the blue, like 10, 15, 20 times a day. She goes, daddy, mama, I love you so much. And it's, it is absolutely adorable. It's heart meltingly adorable. And I, I love having daughters, but, um, but it is, it, she's, she's doing that because she sees me say that to Amy all the time. I, I, I heap those, those words of, of approval and of love upon Amy and upon her. And so she is reiterating, they're little sponges. I mean, it's again, a common trope and it's true. They are little sponges. They, they will, more is caught than taught, I like to say, and I didn't come up with it. Someone else did, but um, hmm. and it's so true. So when you, when you do that intentionally, it, they'll, they'll see that they'll internalize it and then they'll do it. And so, um, again, I'm not doing everything right, um, by a long shot, but trying to be really intentional where I can be. And so, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my take on that about, about masculine attention and fatherly approval. Beautiful. I, I think about this a lot, like how hesitant so many men are to praise, um, when uh, someone taught me to pray using the ACTS method, maybe you've heard of that adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. I've not and, heard of that. Uh, no. I, yeah, so it's a it's a pattern. Um, it's a pattern to pray. Like I, I kneel. Like ever since ever since I became Christian, before I knew it, really anything about it, it just really seemed appropriate to me. Like I'm Christian now, I should probably just kneel and pray at my bed at the end of every night. That's probably what you're supposed to do when you're Christian, right? So that's what I started doing. And so it's something that I, that I still do. And, um, but I didn't really know how to pray. And so someone gave me that method. So ACTS, adoration, um, uh, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so I was always really good at the thanksgiving part, like giving thanks for all the good things in my life. I wasn't good at the supplication, like asking for things that I wanted. Like I get to ask, like you get to ask God for things. Like, yeah, you do. Like, really? But I have so many good things. Well, you still got to ask, which was really nice. But where I found that I really struggled and, and had to and had to work through was adoration or essentially praise. So start out by praising God. Like the Psalms are full of David and the psalmist, like praising God. And it was actually very hard for me to do that. I felt, you know, very kind of insecure about that. Like, really, I'm supposed to praise God? And it's not that God requires the praise. It's that the praise is a, is a sacrifice of our lips. It's it's us giving something of ourselves in some way that I haven't really thought all the way through, but I feel that. And I think that that carries over with many men and their relationship with everyone in their immediate environment. 
Like how often do we really praise our brothers? Hey, good, like our friends, our loved ones, not just the women in our lives, but the men as well. Everybody say, hey, you did a really good job, or I really appreciated that you did that, or you look really nice today, or I love you very much. Hey, I appreciate you. How often are we generous with our praise? And I, I experience, like through the mentorship that I do, most men are starving for praise. They've never received it from their fathers or in very little, <laughs> little, little kids in the background. It does exactly, yeah. right? There's, there's yeah. a little, hold, hold up. Wait, one second. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah sure. Willow? You're not feeling good? Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll come out in a little bit. All right, honey. All right. I love you. <laughs> so cute. I hope you guys could hear that. She's like, okay. <laughs> so, um, so, so the givingness of praise to the people around us, it's a real sacrifice of ourselves. I don't exactly know why, probably because we run the risk of like, if praise is a gift, I'm just going to talk my way through this. If praise is a gift, we run the risk of the gift being rejected. And I've had that happen before where it's like, hey, you look really beautiful. Oh, stop. No, I look terrible. And it hurts when someone rejects rejects praise. I mean, and Why so it, just agree it, with there's, a, there's a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you just accept the compliment? Just take the it's compliment. Okay. Like it doesn't call. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So maybe that's one reason why. But like what you're talking about is so fundamental. And I don't, I don't know that it used to be as uncommon as it is today. I don't know. I haven't lived any other time, but it seems to me that people had a better understanding of the need to praise each other and, and how, and what a blessing that could be. Obviously it doesn't mean like being flattering. Flattering is where you're praising somebody in the hope of getting something out of them. That's manipulative praising is how I would think about it, but you can just say something, you know, the elites don't want you to know this, but you can just say nice things to people. (laughs) You can just say them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, kind of reminds me of a, kind of reminds me of a book. I think it was, um, and I'm not endorsing this book necessarily. It's been a long time since I've read it. Sure. Long time, maybe 10 years. Um, but How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think it was by Dale Carnegie. Yeah, Dale Carnegie. And yeah. one of the things that really stuck with me from that book, and I think probably maybe the, I'm not saying that, again, I don't remember a lot of the book because it's been so long. One of the things that stuck with me absolutely was, he had, he had one point, and I think this is completely true, is that people like to be around and like to talk to people that ask them questions about their life. And so one of the things he said yeah. in the book, one of the things he said in the book was, you know, if you're at a social gathering or whatever, you know, a person is going to like you more if you just simply show interest in their in their life. And, and you know, com- I don't remember if he said compliment them or whatever, but his big point was, was just ask them questions about their life. Um, yeah. and, and they're going to remember that interaction more and they're going to have a, a better experience with you because you just actually, you, you weren't talking about yourself the whole time, but you were, um, you were saying, oh, oh, well, tell me more about that. You're an electrician. I, you know, can you explain this thing to me? I got this, you know, wiring issue at my house. How does that work exactly? You tap into their knowledge or to their advice or whatever. And, you know, that's a big part of being a podcaster. So I probably don't have to you know, preach into the choir here because you, you know, your, your whole, <laughs> you know, when, when you're podcasting, yeah. you have to extract information out of people in, in, in a way and ask them questions about their expertise and this and that. So you're, you're well-versed in this. But um, it kind of touches on what you were just saying about, you know, giving praise, because in a way it is almost a, a way of giving praise, just simply in this culture, just simply asking someone about what they do or what their thoughts are on this. It's, it's almost like you're praising mm-hmm. that person in, in a weird way. That's kind of that's the point we're at now. Um, and I don't know how it was in the past necessarily either, because, again, I've only lived in this time. 
but um but yeah that's i think that was a cool point from that book that i really liked that, I, that that's the only point from that book that really stuck with me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, we, got, we got another guest yeah yeah you where's, where's mama downstairs. oh she's downstairs yeah okay all right daddy will be done in a little bit i'll come down okay we can have dinner She's um, butt naked right now, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> running running around the house, you know, two year old things. So that's how, uh, that's how it goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> perfect. No, that's I think that's um, I think that's I think that's really um, that's really real. And one of the things that um, that I deal with and, and the men uh, that I mentor just to talk about that for a minute is that. Um, I spend a lot of time listening, just like I do on the podcast. I spend a lot of time listening to them about their lives. Like the first call we do is is like usually three hours long. And that's just a chance for me to really get to know them and the, the central events in their lives. And then what I often find and discover over the course of working with them is, is just how starved for praise they've been for the really good things about them, right? Like, no, that's a, that's a good thing. Like I was talking to, I was talking to a man last night he had questions about some some new age stuff, just a one-off call. And he was exploring the topics because there was someone that he cared about. And uh, the topics of, of, some, of new age stuff that he was into was a little bit like a, it was a little bit like a barrier between him and this person that he cared about. And so he contacted me because he wanted to check himself. He's like, this is someone that I care about. And I can see that my interest in these subjects is creating a barrier between the two of us. I don't want there to be a barrier. So let me question myself and ask the guy who knows because I don't want there to be a barrier there. And I was like, that is so noble that you love someone enough to say like, you know what? I feel that this thing that I'm into is causing friction in our relationship. And so rather than making it a you problem, I'm going to make it a me problem. And I'm going to go talk to a guy who maybe is going to challenge my beliefs but you mean enough for me to do that. And I told him, I praised him. I was like, I was like, dude, that is so noble and so wonderful. And I just want to honor you for that. And uh, he, he seemed in the moment, he seemed stunned. Like, what do you mean? It's like, well, that you had the courage to question yourself in that moment so that you could have a closer relationship with this person. That is what we're supposed to be doing or men being celebrated for the times that they stepped up. Or men being, or men being celebrated for the things that they survived. Like, yeah, your your friend died in in really tragic circumstances, and though you're grieving over him, just as an example, and you've been grieving for years, the fact that you've been carrying that grief and making progress in your life, it doesn't actually make you weak. It makes you double strong because you've still managed to live your life while carrying the burden of this grief, and so you're actually stronger than you think you are because you can do both things. When many men wouldn't even try, or they let the grief crush them, or they would let the grief crush them, or that they would deny the grief exists entirely. The men that have the ability to conduct their lives while carrying enormous emotional burdens are so much stronger than anyone ever tells them, but no one ever says that to them. And so they walk around with these self-judgments because no one listens enough to hear, or no one ever praises them, or no one ever puts their arm around their shoulder and say, hey, let's talk about it. And so everyone, men and women, for the most part, are walking around completely alone, completely isolated, starving for really being seen and heard and understood and starving for praise. And it just, it just withers people. And like, it's such a beautiful thing that you're starting early with your daughters to feed them, to nourish them, to nurture them with gifts of your own heart and gifts of your own lips. 
right? It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And this is literally how we build a healthier society. People growing up feeling validated by their parents, not judged by them or pushed by yep. them unfairly. And this is the, it's a, it's yeah, this a wonderful is the oppressive patriarchy that I advocate for. And it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, just, you know, giving your daughters praise, giving your wife praise all the time, leading them. And that's the, that's the idea of servant leadership I can get on board with is, is you are serving by leading, you know, not by being a footstool to your yes. wife. Um, and that's not to say you can't help her do the dishes or do this or that here and there when she's, you know, overwhelmed or whatever it is. I mean, I just did that yesterday sure. with my wife. She was, the dishes were piling up on her. She'd been baking a bunch and she was, you know, dealing with the kids. And so I, I was like, hey, I'll put a podcast in and I'll, and I'll, um, just, you know, go through a few, a few of these dishes that don't fit in the dishwasher anymore, this and that. So that's, you know, another example, yeah. but, but, um, that it reminds me of, what you were saying about the praises and some guys, it reminds me of that meme that goes around. It's like a guy will be like, I don't remember how it goes. I'm so I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing this, but a guy will be like living on the but, high of, you know, his grandma saying that he's a handsome boy for like 10 years or something. You know what I mean? Cause it's like yeah. men are so, men are so starved of compliments. And we live in an age where like women just get it. Like, you know, a lot of women, especially thirst traps and stuff like that, get it heaped on them all the time by all kinds of guys online. Again, this goes back to the male mm. attention and praise being the currency that a lot of social society, you know, runs on. Um, but anyway, yeah, I probably I probably need to wrap up here just a uh, you know pretty soon because uh, sure. I got the got the the That's little fine. cute little rug rat running around in my room and uh, but it's been really good you know talking with you and talking about all these talks. I could literally keep going for another four hours if you know, but uh, I got I got some fatherly oh, duties man. to attend to so. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be appropriate to be talking all the stuff about fatherhood and and being a husband and all the stuff and then like actually not be doing the thing. So I right, completely right. get it. <laughs> Do you want to if you have if you can just give me a couple more minutes just to just can you say a little bit about head coverings? Because you mentioned it a couple times and it raised a question mark in my mind. I know it's a giant topic, but if there's anything yeah. you just want to close with by talking about that, just to send people in a direction to explore it more deeply. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, that goes, that goes way back. So it might seem um, like it's kind of a tangential, but, um, it, I have a highlight on it on my uncaged lion and, um, and a book that I found, cause I read a lot of different books on it. A book I found really clear and concise and, and really wonderful was, um, uh, Phil Kaiser's book, um, on, on the topic. You can actually get it for free online, um, on, uh, I think it's like, mm his, his website, something about something commentary, kaisercommentary.com or something like that. Um, and I don't, I don't have the, the name of it right off the top of my head, but if you just look up Phil Kaiser head covering book, you, you, you can find it. And in that he really lays it. It's like an 80 page book or something, but I read it online. So I don't actually remember how many pages it was. I was just scrolling down. Um, but mm -hmm. that's probably like the one resource I would immediately send people to. Um, because it was really, it was really helpful, okay. but I read a lot of different stuff, you know, early church fathers, things like that on the topic. But basically, um, it boils down to, it boils down to, you know, a lot of the modern uh, exegesis or eisegesis, I should say on, on that is, um, is that it was all cultural and it's a cultural, you know, it's, it's, it's just cultural. But the funny thing is, is that out of the arguments that Paul gives in first uh, Corinthians 11, one, or really it starts at two, two through 16, I believe, um, none of them are, are culturally tied. He gives like four or five arguments in, right. in that. And he is, he's very thorough in how he, in how he, in Paul is not known for being like um, mincing words or not giving thorough arguments. He's like, he's very good at it. Um, very smart guy. And of course this is via the Holy spirit as well. Right. So it's inspired scripture. And he's saying, you know, women mm. should 
wear this covering when they, you know, pray or prophesy according, you know, for, for this reason. And then for this reason, because, because uh, man was created first and, and then and woman came from man and this and that. And then he gives all these reasons in, in the, the apogee of that, of that is actually verse 10, which is kind of highly debated. And it's because of the angels do this thing. A woman should have authority on her head, a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And everyone's like, we have no idea what this means. And I think it's pretty clear that, um, that he's referring to, I don't think it's really all that confusing, but I think it's pretty clear that he's referring to the angels take part in our, in our divine worship service. So I, I hold to the view that it is for corporate gathering, corporate worship. And, um, and that is a very, very common Christian biblical belief that, that the angels are looking at that zealous for God's glory. And, um, really, uh, um, non-tenant has a really good, a couple of really good articles on this too. He, he gives a really threshed out good argument for the argument from God's glory, which is a totally separate argument. You really won't find any, like very many places. Um, hmm. but so that is, uh, that's kind of the, the center. Cause it's actually has, I'm rambling here cause I'm trying to fit in like a bunch into like, I don't know, a couple that's minute fine. explanation to this, but it's actually a chiastic structure. It's a, it's a chiasm. It's a, it's, it's, it's a type of like poetry, biblical poetry. And so it has chiastic structure, which means that the, that the beginning verse, so it, um, it, it's like the first verse connects with the last, the second connects with the second to last, the third connects with the third to last, that sort of thing. And then it has a center. The center verse is verse 10, where it says, because of the angels, you know, do this. And usually in a chiastic structure, the other ver you interpret the other verses based based upon the, the main theme of the verse, which is the center, central verse. And so mm. um, that's a re I'm really getting into the weeds here. But the point I'm I'm trying to make is again go to, go to the highlight go to read the you know read some of the other books and I actually talked to Phil Kaiser about the chiastic structure of it he sent me a really cool picture that um and I think I put that on my highlight that shows the chiastic structure of the verse and um and so my point here is that Paul is appealing to all these arguments and none of them are cultural none of them are tied to that cultural time they're all eternal concepts. Because the man was created yes. first, because of this, because of that. And when you actually look into the cultural arguments behind it, it actually falls on its face anyway. Mm. Um, and so it's a really kind of, I think it's a really shallow modern eisegesis of that. So my point here is, is simply that it's still meant for today. I do not believe that women are to wear a head covering um, all the time outside of the church service. I think it's pretty clear based on the context of where he said that wedged in between a discussion, extended um, extended treatise on the Lord's Supper. He's talking about corporate worship. And that in Paul is using what's called a synecdoche, which is a, um, it's a, he uses it frequently. I think he uses it a couple other times in, in 1 Corinthians. It's when you put something in as part of the whole. So when he says prayer and prophecy, um, he's, he's, he's saying worship as whole. And it's pretty clear when you read that, he's talking about worship. That's kind of like saying, um, it's kind of like saying, and I think he says it somewhere else, the cross. And by the cross, you mean the, the mm -hmm. entirety of the gospel, right? So you're, you, it's, it's a stand-in. It's a part of the thing standing in as for the whole. Um, and so I also go into mm -hmm. this and, um, and other things in some of the highlights. But that's just, it's just something that was kind of a further um, red pill or Bible pill for me is that once I, once I read that and I saw this isn't just a, this isn't just a cultural thing limited to, you know, to Corinth in that time. This is for all Christians. And it was a, and it was a universal practice throughout the church ages up until very modern times. And so that's when you look at the genealogy of things like what, what, why did they disappear? Who did that? 
And that's where I think, I don't think you can hinge the entire argument for its validity based on the fact that feminists wanted to get rid of it. But I think that it has a lot, a lot of explanatory power, um, especially when combined with proper exegesis of the text. So um, that's what I'd say on that. I hope that that um, did, you know, did some service, but go check out Phil Kaiser's yep. book on it. Um, check out my highlight on Uncaged Lion on my, on my um, Instagram. And I think that there's a lot more meat there that may make more sense because I won't be rambling off the top of my head as much. So completely fine. Thank you for thank you for pointing the way for a few people and, and I appreciate you giving a couple extra minutes to to chat that through. So um I've I've loved this conversation. I think a lot of people are really gonna enjoy it. I really appreciate you uh jumping on the podcast and uh, oh, so where would you like to send uh men to find out more about you and what you do? I've loved it too. Thanks for having me, man. This has been a blast. I haven't been on a podcast in a couple of years. I've kind of been in a hibernation phase, but it's been fun to get back at it. I got my studio nice. set back up again, just, you know, just for this. So, um, yeah, you, you, really I'm most active on, um, Instagram. So just uncage the lion mm -hmm. and at the will Layton as well. Both of those Instagram accounts, you'll see one from the other. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to bounce back and forth. It's, you know, most of the same content, but um, mm -hmm. One of them, I would recommend following both because I might get zucked. So, um, you know, the uncaged line could easily disappear yeah. any day. And um, I'm also on Twitter on, uh, I think, both. If you just look at my post, you'll actually see my Twitter name. I can't I, I can't remember the exact, like, at or yeah. whatever. But, you know, Will Layton. And yeah. um, and I have an uncaged line Twitter, too. I, I kind of use both. But um, really, when I when I do most of my posts, it's from the Will Layton one. Um and so if you want to get in contact with me or whatever, have questions or anything like that, Uncage the Lion DM, you know, I'm, I'm on there most every day is, you know, responding to people and that kind of thing. That's probably the best way to get in contact with me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for giving so much of your, your precious time, attention, and uh, for, for dusting off the podcast studio again. And, uh, you know, God bless you and your family, man. I've really, I've really been blessed by this conversation. Thank you. God bless you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.